0: And your meals. (sighs) Thank you. Thank you. Enjoy. I'm starved. Bon appetit. What do you do on Sundays? Nothing in particular. What do you do? Oh, nothing lately. I mean, if you'd like to come visit me sometime, you're welcome to. At least there's some Pretty country around where I live. Would you like to come visit me this Sunday? Yes. <laughs> what a strange girl you are. Why? Flung out of space.
1: God, if your life had a face I would punch it. Yeah. Wait, what?
0: Let me ask you something. Why the reason you make the point of saying someone's not a genius? Do you think I'm especially not a genius?
1: Veronica, why are you pulling my dick?
0: Suck my
2: fat one, you cheap dime store hood.
3: Hello, everyone, and welcome once again to another installment of the greatest moments in the history of forever. I'm Zach. I'm Matt. And this is episode number 352,
4: Carol. We're back. We're back. Wow, what a time off it's been.
3: Yeah, it was a little bit unexpected, and then once it started, it kept growing, which is usually what happens when we break our momentum. It's hard to get started again.
4: It's okay, it was a a needed break. I think you were experiencing a little... Burnout. Oh definitely Myself yeah. and the listeners we we're, we worry about You. Well that's
3: how it started and then There was a death In the family, yeah. a funeral
4: it's Things to deal with. I've been on the road for Work constantly. Matt's been traveling I was on the west coast. I was in Miami All over the place. Happy to be back here in Pittsburgh You're like Will Smith <laughs> At this point. Yeah I do get that comparison A lot. So I have a Your question Your marriage for you. is also very similar to <laughs> Will Smith's <marriage. laughs> Yeah pretty much Is Carol a Christmas movie?
3: Well, that's why it's in December. It's definitely one of those alternate Christmas movies. Alternate
4: title, Christmas Carol.
3: (laughs) (laughs) I don't really think it is, but under the way people define Christmas movies
4: now, it is. We've talked about it before, but it's like it, it is always that conversation about Die Hard, but there's so many movies that take place over the holiday period that's not a classic television holiday movie i guess
3: it just depends on what you think a christmas movie is if you mean a movie that you want to watch at christmas then yeah carol diehard all these things fit that bill eyes wide shut yeah but i don't know that you could necessarily say they're about christmas but i, I don't know no carol is about love i guess so that's part of Christmas. Absolutely, yeah. There's a lot of
4: Christmas songs in it. There's a Santa hat being sported by uh, Rooney Mara. It's certainly got a festive vibe. I gotta say, too, best wardrobe in maybe any movie that's ever been made. Mara's clothing in the film is all
3: real and original from the period, Mm. but
4: they had to use recreations
3: for Blanchett's because she's playing such a high society woman that to get originals This was too small of a film. They didn't have that kind of budget. Yep. Before we get into Carol, let's run through all of our various things. It's been a while, so we'll we'll do the listener request spiel too. But find us on X slash Twitter at GreatestPod. Make sure you're subscribed to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Podbean, wherever you're finding us. If you have not already done so, now would be a great time to – Leave us a positive review on Apple Podcasts. Maybe five stars to go along with that. The Christmas season. You're feeling generous. Mm. Please. Yeah. If you would like to reach us with questions, comments, concerns, explanations for your listener requests, if you'd like to get into negotiating a listener request, all of those things, greatestpod at gmail.com. We would love to read your email on the show. We will be reading one at the end. We do have a little bit of a backlog. Hopefully, I'll
4: remember everyone's and get to everyone's at some point. If months go by and you haven't heard yours, check back in.
3: Yeah, unless there's a specific reason why I might be saving it. Mm -hmm. If you have an upcoming listener request or something like that, then I might be saving your email. Anyway, greatestpod at gmail.com. If you'd like a free sticker, you can ask for one there as well or hit us up on Twitter, and we'll send that out to you. Find us on Letterboxd, although I'm pretty sure I w- I'm canceling my wow, <laughs> paid part of it, and then I probably will just either not use or delete it. But in the meantime, Zach1983, ZACH1983, and Matt Crosby on Letterboxd. I'm going to keep going. Maybe I'll now. come back. Yeah. I don't know. I get it. I don't even really watch that many <laughs> movies anymore. <laughs> well, this is what you do. Because I'm too fixated on the show. Yeah. It used to seem like I could do the notes for this show in one day. Now it's weeks sometimes of working on things.
4: I got to tell you, and this is nothing to do with the fact that I just am walking away with a new package here from you, but I'm starting to get overwhelmed with the amount of movies that I own. You're just starting. I'm going to pick a movie to watch. First of all, I have a section upstairs, a section on the first floor, and a section in the basement. Yeah. And I I start going through piles and... I don't know what to do.
3: <laughs> Isn't that part of the fun, though? Yeah, in a way? sure is. To have your own
4: blockbuster 24-7? I, it is. That's right. We got a little like system worked out where I'll pick three options, and then Lindsay will pick the one out of the three. Probably as
3: far as making the final decision, it pro- it is nice to have yeah. someone else do it.
4: Left to my own devices, it would just be like a nervous breakdown. Well, when it's
3: up to me, yeah. it's rewatching community bobs <laughs> burgers or maybe seinfeld.
4: None of these None options. of the many
3: Yeah. Blu-rays, multiple copies of the same movies are being watched ever. <laughs> Not anymore. We I've got completely... doubles
4: of Texas Chainsaw Massacre. <laughs> <laughs> doubles of the Exorcist.
3: <laughs> oh wait, I'm I'm just finalizing an
4: eBay auction
3: <laughs> triples. <laughs> triples of the Suspiria remake. Triples is safe. <laughs> triples is best. That's a reference to yeah. I Think You Should Leave, uh, which I've recommended several times. Yeah, yeah. So please check that out on but Netflix. But that's
4: the uh, the Bob Odenkirk skit, which is one of my favorites. Yeah,
3: it's one of the best sketches ever, I think. Anyway, before we jump into Carol, we should run through the listener request thing. I'm not going to say everybody's name. That will be coming up soon. But the important information is 2023 is almost over. Holy shit. So if you would like 2023 prices, which is $50 for a movie that it runs up to two and a half hours, $75 for a movie that runs up to three hours, you have to get that in before the end of the year or else all listener requests for any movie that's around three hours or a little bit more would be $100. Now, if it's some insane thing, if you're asking us to do the Decalogue or something ridiculous... (laughs) then A, we'll probably just say no, but B, we reserve the right to negotiate a different price if it's something outrageously long or ridiculous. But aside from that, all listener requests will be $100 next year, and there will be less slots available. We're doing two per month except for three months, June, October, and November. We've already filled up a lot of them. We're down to only six slots left. However, once the clock changes to 2024... We're only going to then do one per month. So whatever months don't have two already booked, we'll switch to one. We could drop down significantly in how many will be left for 2024. As far as doing listener requests past next year, I have no idea. It seems either unlikely that we would do them at all, or if we did, it would be very limited, and the price might even go up again at the end of next year, depending on what happens. So... I would just say if you have one or you're thinking about it, now's the time to do it. I know it's confusing as to how many slots will be available. You don't need to worry about that now. Maybe I'll really hit that on the last episode of the year. But right now, just know there will be less.
4: When the show just disappears for weeks at a time, don't worry. We're committed to these listener requests.
3: Yeah, the listener requests might be the only thing that keep the show going at a certain point, (laughs) but
4: we will do them all.
3: December coming up, as in probably the next two episodes... We've got Justin and Aaron, and then in January, we've got another one from Aaron, and then a different Steven than the one we did before, so that's what's coming up next. I'll run through probably a more in-depth list of the upcoming names maybe next time. I'm not going to bore you with that every time, but I think we're we're good, but not a lot of slots left. Mm -hmm. Let's get into Carol, episode 352, technically a 2015 film, although... I don't believe we saw this until at least twenty sixteen. We this definitely was a, saw it a in, long trek, probably I'm in imagining. the theater, though. Yeah, yeah, but this was a can film. And uh-huh. I just don't think it was out by that same year. I think it was probably the next winter. I am thinking, but I don't know.
4: It was one of those movies that I, I walked into not really knowing what it was, right? And, and so the, my expectations were, I, I guess, just completely unknown. But I definitely walked out really liking it. It was on my top ten of that year. Well, or whatever year we watched it. (laughs) I can't really remember what my expectations would have been or what I knew about it. I'm sure it
3: was my decision to go see it, but I'm guessing it was probably just because it was getting awards buzz and we liked Rooney Mara a lot. For sure. I was vaguely familiar with Todd Haynes, but not really a huge fan of his at the time or anything.
4: I've become much more of a fan, of course, because of this. I actually really liked Dark Waters, too. Yeah, he
3: has a lot of good films, but I wasn't really a guy that I was thinking of very much going into the movie. Same here. Carol was directed by Todd Haynes from a screenplay by Phyllis Nagy based on the 1952 novel The Price of Salt, Hmm. which was later republished under the title Carol in 1990 by Patricia Highsmith, who originally published the novel under the pseudonym Claire Morgan. When you think of the subject matter and the fact that it's written by a woman and it was released in the 50s, that probably explains the pseudonym well enough for you. The budget for Carol was $11.8 million. The box office came in at $42.5 million, making it a nice little hit. It got some awards buzz that we'll go through in a minute because I think there's some controversy to talk about with the awards. But... For those of you who have not already seen Carol or would like to rewatch it for the purposes of listening to this podcast, it's currently streaming for free on Netflix. Seems like one of those ones that's kind of always on Netflix, too. Been up there for a while. Yeah, although I did notice when I was looking at Netflix earlier that half of the things I was on say that they're leaving soon. Well, yeah. Which is annoying. I would rather them just not put that as part of the little square. Yeah.
4: Because- Here's something to bum you out. Well,
3: it's just kind of annoying. Yeah, it's I don't know. It's distracting me. <laughs> Carol was nominated for six Academy Awards. It won zero. Oh, boo! It was nominated in the category of Best Actress for Kate Blanchett, which it lost to Brie Larson for the film Room. Oh, that's right. Supporting Actress for Rooney Mara, which she lost to Alicia Vikander from The Danish Girl. Oh, snubbed. There was some controversy here because Mara is in the film three minutes longer than Blanchette, yet was submitted for supporting actress by the Weinsteins, which she did not really agree with. At most of the
4: other award shows that season, she was in the best actress category. I don't know why I feel this way, but when I first watched Carol, I sort of expect the Rooney Mara character to be Carol, like the focal point. Right,
3: but the book is written from Therese's point of view, even yeah. though it's third person, so the event happening in her life is Carol. Gotcha. But yes, yeah. it does sort of seem like, it, it, since she's the younger girl, it seems like it's happening to Carol more yeah. than, but I get it because Carol is experienced right. in this world, and Therese is not. True. So it is sort of this awakening moment for her, mm-hmm. But yeah, I, I get what you mean. I guess Blanchett can be nominated since she's the titular character, but I don't know. You were saying before we started recording about Harvey Weinstein, I can excuse the countless sexual assaults okay. and the bullying it, and the it, harassment it, and the rapes. I don't recall. But the finagling of the categories for the Oscars, I just cannot abide by that. Yeah, well, that's I a, will
4: say, that should at least have been tacked on.
3: <laughs> that's the straw that broke the camel's back. It's the
4: things that yeah were held against him. Adapted screenplay for Phyllis Nagy, which
3: lost to Charles Randolph and Adam McKay for The Big Short, which we may or may not be covering soon. That's right. Cinematography for Edward Leckman, which I would definitely agree with and perhaps should have won. I know. It looks beautiful. He lost to Emmanuel Lebeski for The Revenant. I
4: think it had a pretty good... Original score too.
3: Well, it was also nominated right. for that. Oh, teaser, a little spoiler. Carter Burwell, which the film lost to Ennio Morricone for the Hateful Eight, oh. and costume design for Sandy Powell, which the film lost to Jenny Bevan or Bevan. That was a snub. Which won for Mad Max: Fury Road? I can actually distinctly remember that yeah. woman winning because she was Australian and right. just big and crazy. 2015, in addition to those films and Carol, was the year of Sicario and Inside Out and Spotlight and oh, Steve yeah. Jobs and Joy and Brooklyn and Bridge of Spies and The Martian. It was kind of a fun year. The big controversy, though, was the film not being nominated for Best Picture, not being nominated for Best Director, when most of the awards leading up to this it was nominated in that category and since the oscar has so many best picture nominees this was definitely written about at the time as a pretty egregious (laughs) snub i do think that potentially the lgbtq subject matter probably influenced that to some degree because i don't know what else it would be although some people speculated that since it was so female driven that it may have also been more of a misogyny thing than just Homophobic, but could be. We say it every year, multiple times a year. The Oscars are pretty stupid, and yeah. I know that people love to wring their hands about what gets nominated, what doesn't, what wins, what doesn't. But looking back, I'm sure most of the films that were nominated for Best Picture are not as highly regarded as Carol. So, does it really matter now that it doesn't have that feather in its cap that it was nominated for yeah. Best Picture because it certainly wasn't going to win? Well, so. I think.
4: Did you say The Revenant was this same year? Yeah, well,
3: Spotlight would have won Best Picture. Well, I'm just saying, well,
4: no, because I just rewatched The Revenant for the first time probably since that year. And I probably had The Revenant higher than Carol, but now I would not. Yeah. Now I definitely like Carol more. I would
3: agree with that. The Revenant, I enjoyed it in the theater. I have not rewatched it, and I don't know
4: that I would. Yeah, this was the first time for me. It's still good. It's still an experience, but... It's no Carol. Carol has that warm ache of a blue
3: valentine or something, even though it's not a sad movie, really. It's actually, I think it's unique in
4: its happy ending. The sadness around the struggles.
3: Yeah, but this will be a through line throughout the episode, whereas this movie is not your standard tragedy porn when it comes to movies that deal with minorities or gay people or whatever. Mm -hmm. Oftentimes, it's reduced... Their role in film is reduced to tragedy porn. Oh, the sadness. This is how awful life is, how everything went wrong. And there's a place for that. Those stories are always important, but it ends up being the only thing a lot of the time. Right. And then I think when you get into the LGBTQ world, it also then is an issue movie or something like that, where it's just how important is this issue? And oftentimes the actors feel more like they're talking to you rather than acting out scenes. And this movie is not like that at all, which is what makes it so special and wondrous and right. real. And there's just incredible performances and incredible writing, and you just get it immediately. You They never say the word lesbian. I know. And yet you know everything yeah, yeah. about why this is hard for them, what the problem is. There's so much left unsaid
4: in I know. the movie, which is what makes it so great. And then something else I love about the movie, and we'll talk more about it when we get to this part, but it was probably a little bit weird when I saw this in the theater, like really not knowing where this is going, and it seems like a weird journey to be on. But when they go on this road trip, all these places that they're going to, yeah, it's a dream. Just yeah, these little diners, weird. these roadside diners, these little hotels with the presidential suite.
3: Oh, yeah. I'm always into a road movie but a vintage Arrow road movie definitely looks really cool. So should it have been nominated for Best Picture? Yes. Yes. Does it matter now? Do we really need to care? No. I mean, for fuck's sake. I know. (laughs) Carol is based on Patricia Highsmith's 1952 semi-autobiographical romantic novel, The Price of Salt. The book was originally published under the pseudonym Claire Morgan by Coward McCann after Highsmith's publisher, Harper & Brothers, rejected it In 1990, Highsmith agreed to republish with Bloomsbury Publishing under her own name and retitled it Carol. It had been inspired by an encounter in 1948 between Highsmith and a blonde woman wearing a mink coat, Kathleen Wiggins Sen, whilst she was working as a Christmas season salesgirl at the toy department of Bloomingdale's in New York. That evening, she wrote an eight-page outline, which she developed some weeks later and had completed by 1951. The character of Therese Belivet was based on Highsmith herself. Sen inspired the character of Carol Aird, but its template was inspired by Highsmith's relationships with two former lovers, Philadelphia socialite Virginia Kent Catherwood and psychoanalyst Catherine Hamill Cohen. Hmm. Catherwood lost custody of her daughter in a high-profile divorce that involved secret tape recordings of her and her female lover. Wow. It was a two-solid decades worth of work to get this to the screen i believe Nagy originally wrote the script as early as 1996 and despite an endless list of potential producers and directors and actors even it was screenwriter phyllis Nagy who remained steadfast in her duty she ultimately ends up becoming the guardian of the script in a lot of ways because she actually had a close personal relationship with Patricia Highsmith, the original author. It's just not that often you see the screenwriter being the person that keeps this burning for basically 20 years, 19 years. I know, it, took it to get seems to the uh,
4: thankless work at a certain point, but I guess it paid off. According to
3: Nagy, Highsmith was not confident that the novel could be made into a satisfying film because of its intense subjective point of view. Nagy decided to adapt the script to ensure its fidelity to the source material, remarking, I felt a strange responsibility to take it and to make sure that it wasn't screwed up in some fundamental way because she so disliked many of the screen adaptations of her work. Nagy said, What still strikes me now about the novel is how radical it was in terms of its overall conception. Two central figures not giving a rat's ass about sexual identity No one frets about being gay. Others fret on their behalf. I also found Highsmith's notions of what makes a good mother to be quite radical. The choices that people have to make in order to make the lives of their children better seemed really fresh and radical, and still do to this day, actually. Nagy said it was important that the screenplay be authentic to the early 1950s. There was a different protocol then, a different etiquette, a different way people related to each other physically, she said. It does you no service to spoon-feed a contemporary audience their own emotional codes and value
4: systems. Mm, love to hear it.
3: Yeah, well, why do you think I picked that to read? Seriously. While various directors and investors had input to the script during its long gestation period, Nagy rejected suggestions that Carol or Therese should feel guilty about being gay and suffer some kind of breakdown scene about it. What I knew going into the adaptation, Nagy said, was that Pat's lack of psychoanalyzing about Carol and Therese's sexual attraction, and ultimately their love, had to be maintained. It could not be corrupted by an impulse to indulge in any number of dramatic narrative cliches about guilt concerning one's sexuality or the like. So Todd Haynes, he was working on a different project, not really even entirely sure what that was, but... It ended up falling apart when the actress dropped out or something like that. So when that falls through, he gets sent this script, reads it, immediately jumps on board. He's already had a history working with Kate Blanchett, it seems like She was
4: already attached?
3: Yeah. Yeah. She was pretty much locked in. I didn't even really see any other potential people once it really was rolling. At one point, they offer it to Rooney Mara just around the same time that she's getting sucked into the whole Girl with the Dragon Tattoo world. It might have been right out of that. And she turns it down because she just didn't really feel ready to do it or something. But at that point, Haynes wasn't involved. Once Haynes comes on, Mio Wasakowska, oh yeah, was supposed to play Therese. She drops out. I think there was a scheduling conflict or something. And then they reoffer it to Mara, and she comes back now deciding that since it's Haynes and Blanchett locked in, that it's a no-brainer.
4: Yeah, and it is a no-brainer.
3: She's the right choice. Yeah, I really have a hard time picturing. I think Mia Wasikowska could do it. She actually has a very similar Rooney Mara vibe. Yeah. But I like the fact that Rooney Mara is brunette. And I know that-
4: She always brings that mystique, too.
3: Yeah. Well, I think Wasikowska is similar in that Uh, sense. That's true. But- there's something about her coloring, like the hair. I, yeah. I know that, that you could change hair colors and stuff, but it just seems like the right contrast against Kate Blanchett, who's just so icy blonde all the time. Yeah, true. It's obvious. It's trite. But I love the look of Carol, the soft, restrained elegance of that winter nostalgia.
4: I know. There's so many great shots in this movie. And a big part of it is Therese takes pictures, and it is such a photographic movie. It's a delicate world within a snow globe.
3: Modern angst in a beautiful yet unwelcoming world. Equal parts cold, but also cozy, too, which sure. is strange and just something that feels very unique to this time period in New York. I agree. A little bit before Inside and Davis, but still kind of a similar vibe. Yeah.
4: Mad Men vibes.
3: And it's all dependent upon whether or not you fit in. If you fit in in the way that Harge thinks that you should, then it is that cozy world of classic Christmas, classic Americana, yeah. Norman Rockwell. But if you don't, it probably feels as cold as the winter in New York. Right.
4: Well, and I don't know if this is true to life, but it it's New York and all the glamour, but it never feels overcrowded in this movie.
3: Well, they didn't actually film it in New York, yeah. which also helps. But <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah it, it's something that I'm sure has existed in many, many films and many, many films before the Royal Tenenbaums. But it's kind of that fairy tale version of
4: New York that like isn't. How you'd want to live in New York?
3: Yeah, more of the Bruce Springsteen New York versus the Lou Reed New York. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it seems much more poetic and romantic when you put it a certain way rather than a different way. (laughs) In preparing for filming, the producers found that the cost of production in the New York City area would be prohibitive, and it was also going to be difficult to find locations there that resembled the early 1950s. Part of the financing plan hinged upon a co-production deal with Canada, with filming taking place in Montreal, but Haynes joining the production led to a rethink One of the producers, Carlson, recalled making a film 27 years earlier in Cincinnati, Ohio, that was set in 1950s New York. After researching the city, she found that it had not changed much in decades, with Ohio also having one of the best film tax incentives in the U.S. The city of Cincinnati was very accommodating to the production, which employed many locals as crew. And if you remember, there were parts of Dark Water... That were in Cincinnati that's as well. True. Yeah. And last year was my first time ever being in Cincinnati. I just drove through it. And as soon as I saw the look of the buildings in the city, I thought of Dark Water. And re watching Carol now, I still got that same vibe. And I don't know if that's just because it's stuck in my head, the Todd Haynes thing, knowing it's Cincinnati yeah. and knowing it's not actually New York. But he really just captured something because when I went there, it was in October, but it was a little cold, it was a little rainy, and it was dusk. Dusk was just settling in as I'm going through the city. And it felt very similar to both Darkwater and now Carol as well. Wow. I don't know. It was it was bringing back that feeling when I was oh, watching Carol awesome. now. Carol was shot on super 16 millimeter film to resemble the look and feel of photographic film from the late 40s, early 50s. The cinematographer was influenced by the photojournalism of Vivian Mayer- Ruth Orkin, Helen Levitt, and Esther Bubbly. Photography what? by Saul Leiter, known for shooting through windows and using reflection, uh, yeah. was a key influence as well. So
4: more photography ties in, tie-ins. Yeah. Unfortunately, that may
3: end up prohibiting the film from ever being released on 4K physical media because Super 16 kind of maxes out at 2K, I guess. But some films have been yeah. put on physical media. But I think... it. You really have to have assurances that it's going to sell well because I think the process is a little more expensive or something. I don't well, know. And the look, results are not guaranteed. But yeah. I know like the original Evil Dead is on 4K, and that was a Super 16 as well. And this looks great as is. Yeah, not every movie needs that. It may make the clothes seem not as realistic looking yeah, or yeah. something. You never know. It looks incredible, the version that's on Blu-ray now. It, it looks good on Netflix too, so whatever. The film opens in medias res. We're in the middle of something. We don't know what exactly. You just kind of have a sense that something is happening. We come upon these two women. They're dining at a table in some posh-looking restaurant. We're actually going to find out that this isn't even a restaurant, which is so funny. This is really just (laughs) a lobby where people wait. But everything used to seem so posh in this time period.
4: Well, and I was also thinking... People just had more hours in the day. It seems like the amount of time people were willing to spend like getting dressed.
3: <laughs> you weren't on your phone. Right. Take away every second you waste on your cell phone. Yeah. That's all free. Far less television watching yeah. going on. You might only watch a little bit of T V total. This yeah. is very early fifties. I'm sure most people don't even have TVs. Right. So what do you do with all this extra time? You just wait and you
4: go places and you talk. And and- yeah. It takes a while to like get dressed.
3: Yeah, and the whole process that they even show in this movie of them going to work at the department store, that mm-hmm. whole thing, it just seems like it takes a long time to get to work and yeah. to get ready for work. and It's very different. The pace of life is just way different. I know, it now, now it
4: feels like there's never enough hours in the day.
3: Kate Blanchett as Carol aired, as I mentioned, I think that she was always seemingly locked in, whereas Rooney Mara as Therese Belovit, she was out, then in after the whole Mia Wasikowska situation. One of the big things here, though, is this young man comes and interrupts whatever's going on. We don't really know.
4: Right. The opening is kind of from his perspective.
3: Yeah. The only thing that you can really pick up on, though, is the difference Mm -hmm. in the hands on her shoulders. Whereas when Carol leaves, there's this lingering moment, and the camera's very fixated on it. And then when he is saying, like, we're going to go to this party, and he puts his hand on her, her shoulder, it's very different feeling.
4: I have to tell you, when Kate Blanchett puts her hand on Rooney Mara's shoulder, it's more palpable than almost anything I've ever seen in film. <laughs> more so than the bomb in Oppenheimer. <laughs> yeah, well, this is a movie of subtlety. Obviously, I'm being a little hyperbolic, but it does send shockwaves through me. You get it. Yeah. You get
3: Without even really knowing much about what's happening at all, you kind of sense it. Right. Lights and reflections and drizzled rain upon car windows, soft, haunting score, a pang of longing and sadness. Therese is traveling with this young man now to a party. We're literally only five minutes in. Almost nothing has been said. Almost nothing has happened. And yet, you understand it. You get it all already. Right. Because it conveys, just through visual poetry, this sense of sadness and desire and longing, and you just know from your own life experiences that these are two people that want it to happen and yet feel like it can't. On the way to this holiday party, Therese flashes back to the beginning. As I pointed out, the novel remains in third person, but it is told from Therese's point of view. As is much of the film, although there is a couple of scenes that she would not know the specifics of that feature Carol solo. But for the most part, it is Therese's story. Therese is in her early 20s. She's a single woman trying to make it in the big city. It feels like it's right out of Mad Men or something like that. Yeah, yeah. She lives in one of those boarding house type apartments that don't really seem to exist anymore. But I think it used to be somewhere where a young woman could live safely and there's only really one phone in the whole place and that kind of a thing. And there's almost like a dorm mother or something. (laughs) Even though they are adults paying rent, it seems kind of weird. It's Christmas season, 1952. Therese is an aspiring photographer working at the Manhattan department store called Frankenberg's. Her boyfriend Richard, played by Jake Lacey, who everyone will remember as the horrible guy. Yeah, he's with Alexander D'Addario in *The White Lotus*. I,
4: I can't stand this guy. Well, I think that's his whole that's lot his in these movies. Yeah. yeah, that's who he gets typecast as—the <laughs> annoying dude.
3: He really wants Therese to go to France with him. He's got his mind set on marriage. And you can tell pretty much right away that she is way more ambivalent to the relationship.
4: And, oh, yeah, uh, it's unclear it. that they're even together. <laughs> yeah,
3: from her perspective. Yeah. <laughs> Richard also works at Frankenberg's, which I found to be sort of weird. But Especially
4: when he starts talking about getting a better job for her.
3: Well, the world was a lot different yeah. in the 50s. You could move up at a store and the pay was more appropriate like inflation has really just fucked over regular people right because like you could move up in a store and that'd be your whole life at this department store and you would make good money that would you could afford a house and a car in the suburbs yeah everything yeah i mean it doesn't really make sense now but yeah i don't know what this promotion he got or whatever
0: i wonder if you might help me find this doll for my daughter
1: bright betsy oh she cries and wets herself but I'm afraid we're all out of stock. Oh, left it too long. Well, we have plenty of other dolls and all kinds, actually. Right.
0: What was your favorite doll when you were four?
1: Me? Well, I never... Not many, to be honest. I'm sorry. You're not allowed to smoke on the sales floor.
0: Oh, of all the... Forgive me. Shopping makes me nervous.
1: That's all right. Working here makes me nervous.
0: (laughs) You're very kind. Here she is.
1: Oh, she looks like you. Around the eyes.
0: You think so? What did you want when you were this age? A train set. Really? Do you know much about train sets?
1: I do, actually. We just got a new model in last week. It's... Hand-built with hand-painted cars. It's a limited edition of 5,000. You might have seen it on the way in over by the elevators. I would show you, but I'm sort of confined to this desk. Do you ship? Special delivery. You could have it in two or three days. They'd even assemble it for you.
0: Wow. That's that. Sold. Shall I pay now?
1: Oh, yes, of course. Um...
0: And your account details and your shipping address. Of course. I love Christmas. Wrapping presents and all that. And then somehow you wind up overcooking the turkey anyway. Done. Where'd you learn so much about train sets? Oh, I read too much, probably. It's refreshing. Thank you. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. I
2: like There's a gift for our accessories department
3: It doesn't take long. Therese first meets this glamorous woman, Carol aired at Frankenberg's. Rooney Mara, just a a vision absolutely, in the vintage Santa hat conjuring up Audrey Hepburn already, an actress she will portray in an upcoming Luca Guadagnino movie. How about that? Carol, this icy blonde, a decadent goddess prowling yeah, really. in her furs and luxury, immaculately made up. Just
4: two stunners.
3: <laughs> <laughs> she stalks the sales floor like a leopard and... Yeah search of this doll for her daughter Rindy. At Therese's recommendation, Carol purchases a model train set. instead when they don't have the desired doll. When Carol departs, she leaves her gloves on the counter. Therese will then mail them using Frankenberg's sales slip with Carol's name and address.
4: Was this a move?
3: Costanza. (laughs) She's literally pulling George Costanza type moves i think it is a
4: move i feel i feel like it
3: is because she's rich she doesn't forget these gloves so if she so if the gloves never show up who cares yeah you just throw that out there and see what happens because the world for younger listeners was so different it's not as if you could just go on tinder and say i'm gay oh, yeah. or just put up a flag and say hey <laughs> Miss connections for- nyc
4: Frankenberg's. I'm a
3: woman looking for women or I'm a man looking for men. That just was not a thing and so you had to kind of go into these other avenues to find potential partners and I think that this is a move I'm pretty sure.
4: Angel in the Santa hat at Frankenberg's. We shared a moment. I left my gloves. Hope to see you.
3: Craigslist misconnections. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it really is one of those moments where alone by heart is blasting oh, yeah, as they lock eyes Mm -hmm. it's literally a visual awakening for therese on screen you can see her understanding who she is i think for the first time maybe yeah because she definitely seems like potentially a closed off conservative person who maybe has had thoughts but has not let that become a thing Mm -hmm. and probably doesn't fully understand what's going on with herself like why can't she just like this richard guy it's the 50s, he's a good-looking guy, let's just get married, that's what people do, but she just I'll doesn't seem why. to want to. i
4: Therese, because he stinks. <laughs> or because you like girls. Yeah. <laughs>
3: I would just write things in my notes that I'm trying to figure out even what I'm talking about. Exquisite, painful beauty. <laughs> that seems like it could be the quote on like, I know. the Blu-ray case. <laughs> I think I was probably just trying to come up with my own little yeah. blurbs. <laughs> But that's kind of how you feel in general about the whole thing. Right. It's a good pain. It's a good hurt. It's even better because you know that the ending of the film isn't tragic and it isn't really sad. And that makes the pain of the movie better in a way.
4: I was just thinking of a ghost story. Oh, God. A meditative poem on the the enormity enormity of of life. life. Yeah.
2: (laughs) We
3: both
4: remember that. It was the most
3: asinine yeah. sentence I've ever seen. <laughs> this is a movie about a fucking idiot walking around with a, bl- with a sheet on his head.
4: <laughs> You're going to say that out loud? Yeah, there's a, an extended sequence of Rooney Marr eating pie in the movie. <laughs> and I own this movie on Blu-ray. Right? Absolutely, it's great.
3: <laughs> I wouldn't say it was great, but I did kind of like it. I but enjoyed to say the in-theater experience. It's just to write a sentence. Come on. I know. Fucking asshole. <laughs> a meditative poem. <laughs> I feel there was an understanding with them that words and dialogue were never carrying the weight of the story. That's a quote from Todd Haynes, and I included that because when Blanchett and Mara were rehearsing and doing these scenes together and discussing what they were doing and their characters, they themselves started cutting lines out of the script and decided a lot of things didn't need to be said. And that's... I think what turns this from a good movie to a great movie is Absolutely. understanding the nuance and subtlety and how you're going to let that be the star. Let the performance star
4: in the film and not the words. Well, and then it hits harder on this unspoken connection between these two. Yeah. It's all about the gaze, the locking of the eyes. You mean G-A-Z-E. Right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that is true, yeah. Because it is also about the G-A-Y-S. That is
3: true. But no, I I meant the
4: gays, G-A-Z-E.
3: In a way, by taking out all of that turmoil and anguish, and you don't have too many scenes of Therese even questioning it once she's on the path, that feels very real to me. I am not a homosexual, so I can't just claim to know what it's like. But in terms of just trying to relate things that I maybe would have more first-hand experience with, whether that's just having a crush on someone for the first time or start entering into a new relationship or something, the way that Therese acts in the film never feels like a put-on. It never feels as if she's trying to convince us of anything. That's how people act when they're swept up in it. She's not just pounding a pillow saying, why am I gay? Why can't I like Richard? That's not
4: real. No. Well, I also think we're coming into her story at an interesting time in her life because I do think that she's impressionable. Yeah, we're going to get into that at the end. She sort of has let things happen to her.
3: Yeah, there's definitely some similarities to the perks of being a wallflower. Right. And we'll get into that when we get there. But yeah, I think that Mara and Blanchett probably looked at some of those lines and felt it was verging more into... We're making like a big statement about yeah. how hard it was to be gay in the '50s, and that is there. But it's better when that's inherent and not just what you keep telling us. Right. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. It all goes back to that very simple idea of show and not tell. Absolutely, because your audience maybe doesn't always understand subtlety, and I I am reminded constantly of how dumb most. people people are, and most people who watch movies and talk about them. but <laughs> yeah. And so, yeah, I, I do think that sometimes movies aren't subtle because they know they can't be. Right. But, fuck, it feels really good, though, when a movie is allowed to be what it needs to be, and they're not pandering to people who need things explained to them. And this isn't rocket science. We all know how hard it was to of be Of course, gay. yeah. And it was probably, in its own way, harder to be a man who was gay, but yeah. it's also in its own way harder to be a woman who was gay. And this movie sort of explores that without making a big stink about Mm -hmm. it. It's just, what is this actually going to look like? What is going to happen as a result? But it doesn't say, oh, I'm a lesbian, so I'm getting my kid taken away. It just happens. Right. (laughs) But I think oftentimes the movies, they would have a scene with like, this is an outrage. Yeah. I am an American. You know what I mean? Or even just like
4: a scene with Abby being like, oh, I can't believe they're doing this because you're a lesbian. Yeah. Like that.
3: One day we're going to take this to the Supreme (laughs) Court.
4: Like, There's no rah-rah kind of a thing. It's just
3: this is what's happening. In the scene where Therese and friends are watching a revival of Sunset Boulevard from 1950 from inside the projectionist booth.
4: Love to see that work its way in.
3: Danny, who's taking notes while watching the movie, tells Therese that he's, quote, charting the correlation between what the characters say and how they really feel. This was an intentional line of dialogue that observes the unspoken feelings that will develop between Carol and Therese.
4: Of course.
3: Yeah, I think Phyllis Nagy is a big fan of Sunset Boulevard and tries to work it into stuff that she writes. Love it. Therese remains ambivalent with Richard, but a common friend, Danny, invites Therese to his workplace, the New York Times, and offers to introduce her to a photo editor friend. Meanwhile, Carol is going through a difficult divorce from her husband, Harge, played by Kyle Chandler. Carol ends up calling Frankenbergs to thank the clerk who returned her gloves and invites Therese to lunch. This is a great first scene with them. Technically, they've already met, but this diner scene where Carol is saying, oh, you're just some thing flung out of space. Right, yeah. She's saying it all without saying it specifically, and it seems like it's the right words for Therese to hear because Therese, I think, feels it too, and it's one of those things, and it doesn't have to be a gay story. It's a human story. What happens so often when we meet the person that we like and we're going to start a relationship with, there's that moment where you both know what you want, but you're not 100% sure that the other person's on the same page yet, How is that any different from this moment with Therese? She clearly is interested in Carol. We've seen it on her face. She's showing up to this lunch, but it's not one of those things, especially in 1952 with lesbians, where you're just like, oh, are we now on a date? Like You don't say that. How could you say that? Right, right. But Carol seems to just know the right way to say it without saying it so that Therese is clear
4: it happens so naturally. This sure. should
3: almost be like a how-to of like how to start a relationship oh, uh, yeah, with someone. Yeah, I mean,
4: look, there's an undeniable chemistry here. Sparks are in the air. I love this scene. Every interaction between them
3: feels so loaded, but this is the first time where everything is so layered with meaning.
4: You are getting these indications of the Therese character not knowing what to order, just oh, ordering yes. exactly what Carol orders. Very inexperienced, new right. to the world.
3: Yep, Almost like a baby deer- learning to stand or something, and there's a certain level of naivete and inexperience. And that's a big part of the dynamic between them. And I do think that given certain circumstances, you do wonder if we ever are at a place where society has accepted homosexual relationships on the same level as heterosexual ones, would then we then go into a whole thing about the age difference between these characters. Right. Does that become its own controversy there? But I think that in the gay community that ends up being the case, because this movie, again, without saying it, explains that, because how else would Therese even know what to do? Of course. It's almost as if she needed a guide to help her find her way, Mm -hmm. because how else would she ever have gotten there? She probably would have ended up married to Richard, and she would have repeated all of Carol's mistakes. It's almost as if it would have been great if someone would have stepped in and met Carol at the right moment. But then again, she got Rindy, so it's always that thing of you have regrets, but the regrets sometimes lead to good things, too. Sure, sure. Therese visits Danny, and he kisses her, but she becomes uncomfortable and leaves. Matt, how many times has that happened to you? Almost exclusively. Even still. When there's been a kiss involved.
4: (laughs) Yeah. She still sometimes gets uncomfortable and leaves. (laughs) But the whole interaction is strange because I don't even know how to interpret what they're saying to each other. He's like, do you mind? And she says no.
3: but Yeah, but I think that's a loaded
4: answer, too, because I think that
3: she's defensive in the sense that she doesn't understand where that question's coming from. So yeah. she's afraid of revealing herself. So if she says, yes, I mind, even though it doesn't make sense, she doesn't want to be accused of. Being a lesbian or something. I weirdly
4: like I thought yeah. that's
3: maybe where that was coming from. Maybe.
4: I sort of interpret this scene as maybe she would be more into Danny than Richard, but she's not into either. Probably. <laughs> either. I do think that she's probably had enough with Richard. Yeah.
3: But it's unclear because this movie never even says the word lesbian, let alone yeah. gets into the whole concept of whether these characters are bisexual right. or anything like that. I, so we don't know. Yeah. But it also fits in with the perks of being a wallflower thing where. Totally. Is she just going along. afraid to yeah. stand up for herself and decide what she actually wants and doesn't want? We have two lost souls just swimming in a fishbowl year after year. No, yeah. they're just two women in these semi-unhappy to unhappy situations. I would describe Therese as semi-unhappy and Carol as full-blown unhappy. They're so close yet so far. Are they going to be two ships passing in the night or are we going to be able to make this work? At some point, we're introduced to Abby, played by Sarah Paulson, one
4: of Carol's friends, a former lover,
2: who uh, is still
3: very much in her life.
4: Yeah, it's the godmother to the daughter that her and Hard share.
3: Some of the pieces start coming together about what's going on with Carol's life, why this divorce is happening, why her marriage isn't working, what her intentions may be with Therese, things of that nature.
4: By the way, you know a husband is going to be very hateable when his name is Harge. <laughs> I do think that Harge could be more hateable. That's
3: true, yeah. The first time you see this movie, there is the concern of more violence Abuse. or more yeah. He's a very...
4: Yeah, I think when you look at that character, he's very hurt because he does love this woman and he wants it to work, and he's embarrassed that... He's embarrassed for himself, but yeah, he also doesn't
3: understand.
4: Yeah, yeah. Does. This is
3: just a completely different world... And that fits in with even that quote that Nagy was talking about about trying to force on modern sensibilities. And that applies to the not likable characters too. And I think you do have to give a little bit of slack because he's not that awful. He's bad. And there is sort of a drunken scene that he makes at one point. But Mm -hmm. considering it's 1952, you're talking about a situation, a world where on Mad Men, a wife is getting a... A lobotomy or something? I know. Or
4: he very much could have just smacked her around and people would probably be okay with that. The movie doesn't shy away from it. It's very much a men's world. Yeah. And there's some serious repressive behavior going on. But to be fair to the Harge character, he has sort of gone along with what's been going on here. What do you mean by that? I just feel like to the point that he's not as bad as could be. Well, I think he was trying to
3: still make the marriage work. Yeah. If you're saying, why didn't he just divorce her when he found out about Abby or something, I think it's more because in this time period, divorce wasn't super common, and mm-hmm. they are high society people who have a lot of money. That's true. And he has
4: of, an image that is very yeah, important
3: to him. There would be some personal embarrassment, yeah. especially if rumors got started. It's one thing to get a divorce. It's another thing when everyone finds out why. I know that Sarah Paulson has said that her character was originally much bigger and a lot of it was cut. I think that explains a question I had later in the movie. Aside from that one little moment, I don't know what it would have changed or Hmm. added or what exactly her whole role would have been. I guess it probably would have shed more light onto Carol's past, I'm guessing. But it is what it is. The movie's two hours. I don't really think it needs to be any longer.
4: Carol doesn't act like their relationship was that long of an affair no they, they but i don't know what the, sexual relationship but
3: yeah but i don't know what the scenes are even i have i couldn't even True. tell you what they're in relation to carol invites therese out to her home in new jersey as she's getting into the car richard's seeing her off and he says i love you and she says bye <laughs> <laughs> which is always a brutal moment while waving while being like get out of here
4: yeah really yeah <laughs>
3: On their way to New Jersey, the dialogue drops out, so you just have the the dreamy
4: moments, and
3: there's really like a texture and feel yeah. to everything—the steering
4: wheel, the it's, fabric of this car seat. It's a really cool part of the movie. It's it's the only part that seems more artistic. Like all all of the rest of the shots seem like straight out of life.
3: No, there's definitely some artsy stuff that he does. That okay,
4: this was the one that stood out to me, anyway.
3: Even in Dark Water, he sort of replicates some of those. For example, when Carol was on the phone, in the phone booth, the way that you only see, like, this, Oh, that's like true. a yeah. sliver of yeah. her from far off. He does a lot of those kind of shots yeah. in Dark Water, too, where it seems like it would be a normal thing happening, but it's shot in a very right. weird way. It just has, like, this very well-crafted feel. Yeah. I used the expression about a world in a snow globe, but it, it's almost like a handcrafted thing. Yeah, this Not sort quite of- Wes Anderson, but almost because it is a period piece and it's not actually 1952, so you do have to build this. But, yeah, I'd love to know what area of Cincinnati (laughs) was still looking (laughs) like this. Because the part I saw seemed like a modern city, but there must be areas that feel like they're right out of this. Because for $11 million, you're not using, like, CGI to change the world or anything. No, The Shade of Green, even, was reminiscent of Wong Kar Wai. I think a lot of this movie... Both in terms of the vibe, the look, and other things, I feel like it has to be influenced by In the Mood for Love. And that green is like very out of a lot of his movies. Mm. Ambient vintage pop playing. Yeah. I don't know all of the songs. Some of them are Christmas, and then some of them were weird. Right. There was one about drinking mint and juleps, and that's why I have six too many children. And I'm like, wow, that's a wild song (laughs) for the 50s. He's really putting it all out there. Carol stops to purchase a Christmas tree and Therese takes candid photographs of her. Later at the house, Harge arrives unexpectedly to take Rindy to Florida for Christmas and he becomes suspicious of Therese as Carol had that affair years before with Abby. Therese witnesses their argument. After Rindy leaves, a distressed Carol takes Therese to the train station so she can return home.
0: Harge, I'm cold. I'm, I'll make you some coffee.
2: I'm not drunk. You can still come with us. Go back a back.
0: I can't do that. Yes, you can. What are you gonna do?
1: What are you gonna do? Are you gonna
0: stay here with Abby over Christmas? you gonna stay with the shop girl in there? Huh? What are you gonna do, Carol, huh? What is the plan? Stop it! Damn it! I put nothing past women like you, Carol. You married a woman like me.
3: When it starts to snow at the Christmas tree depot, I don't know what you would call that, because yeah. it doesn't really feel like a store, <laughs> that was reminding me a lot of Royal Tenenbaums oh, yeah. and that fantasy snow flurries feel where you That's know it's right. fake, but it's almost better than real because the
4: flurries are so big and perfect. It's just creating a scene that you just want to live in.
3: Yeah, the vintage 1950s Christmas stuff, the decorations, the lights, it all hits absolutely hard, cuts deep. Did you think that Therese was dropping camera hints? Like, She's like, oh, yeah, I'm a photographer, but my camera kind of stinks. I wish I really had a better one. (laughs) You seem really rich. (laughs) Yeah, it seemed a little heavy-handed for going into
4: specifically not being able to afford a better camera. I don't know. It's hard to think that she does anything that's all that pointed. No, I know. I'm just kind of kidding. No, I know. That
3: line did seem kind of clunky to me. Yeah. I guess they wanted to explain why Carol would know to buy her. She seems like
4: she struggles to get thoughts from her head out to her mouth, like (laughs) kind of like you. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I understand, and it's just better if I stay silent. (laughs) When Hard shows up, that seething
3: suburban rage of the nineteen fifties really was reminiscent of Revolutionary Road. I'm going to see how many different movies I can just <laughs> randomly bring up because I've
4: written a lot down. That's right. She's like, God damn it. He just sees her with a young girl. I know what you're doing. Well, yeah, but to be fair, he's like trying to fix the sink when he does have his flip out. Yeah. And I totally get that. Anytime I try to repair anything, it goes horribly wrong right away. I probably break it worse. Well, what is it, though, about one of these
3: divorce type situations in a drama where they really need to show you the man working on something that the man would do in the house kind of a thing like a very manly job because they really need to emphasize how angry he is that he's paying for this house and he's not living in this house that kind of a thing
4: they need to have a reason for him really to stay
3: yeah (laughs) and interact with the moment yeah And then typically, I guess, in the traditional sense, you would catch your ex-wife or your soon-to-be ex-wife with her new beau. But instead, you have this
4: young girl there. Which he's clearly confused about, but also given that there's a pattern of behavior. Yeah, he knows what this score is. And you do wonder,
3: I guess, is this movie suggesting that it would be be less terrible in Harge's mind if yeah. it was a man
4: it's it's actually probably my favorite line of delivery from Kyle Chandler in the whole movie is when he walks into the room he's like so how is it that you know my wife <laughs> <laughs> it's beyond
3: awkward for Therese oh yeah at one point she's trying to turn up the volume because she just doesn't want to the hear record. the fight I
4: mean obviously she feels like she's causing a scene
3: yeah But she's so naive, and she has not even kissed a woman, so she doesn't really fully understand what's happening. Because for all all we know, since this movie doesn't come out and say a lot of stuff, and we don't see the characters saying it, for all we know as viewers, Therese could still be at a point where she's afraid the rug is going to be pulled out at some point, that she's wrong, Mm -hmm. that she's misunderstood what's happening, and she's embarrassed herself. But now, Harge's arrival seems to indicate oh, I was right, but how do I feel about that? What's happening? Right. Now I'm embarrassed because...
4: And it is a weird scene. She seems like sort of a peaceful person. Carol and Harge are kind of used to going 12 rounds with each other verbally. If I
3: miss some things as we go through the plot, I would say that I wasn't stopping this as much because in order to fully enjoy Carol, and by stopping I mean to write notes... Because to fully enjoy Carol, I think you got to let a lot of these things wash over you oh, in yeah. long stretches. If I'm breaking it up every few minutes, you're sort of losing that momentum.
4: I know, and there's an energy to the movie that you just sort of want to continue to be a part of.
3: Therese is crying on the train on the way home. There's still so much left unsaid, but the audience fully grasps the situation now. This is a star-crossed lovers, Romeo and Juliet moment. Are they going to actually be able to be together because of circumstances? In Romeo and Juliet, it's because the Montagues and the Capulets hate each other. Mm -hmm. In this, it's because it's the 1950s. And being openly gay is tough, especially when one of the women in question is older and married and has a child. If they were both single women, you would get a lot of scrutiny and maybe harassment and prejudice, but you could... Obviously, there were gay people living their lives. they could
4: probably do it relatively secretly without annoying people. Yeah, the old roommates situation.
3: Therese is being confronted with a seemingly insurmountable wall of resistance and uncertainty against what she now wants. So much of art, I've realized from doing this podcast, is the processing of futility. Ah, I bet you thought I was going to say trauma or grief, but that's just horror movies these days. I see, yeah. A lot of times when you strip down what these things feel like they're really about is this feeling of futility. I can't whatever. I can't get what I want or I can't do what I want. And that's what this is too. But what Therese maybe doesn't understand initially in the wake of all of this bit of domestic unpleasantness between Harge and Carol and everything else going on is that now she and Carol are bonded. Therese is new and naive, and she's actually embarrassed about witnessing this scene, and then she's crying because Carol is mad and distant and weird, but she doesn't get that she has now seen a side of Carol that is usually...
4: Reserved. Yeah. I was a little bit... I don't know if confused is the right word, but not sure why Therese is so upset. You're upset because you've been involved in some scene, but then Carol calls and apologizes to Therese... As crying
3: she, is before that, on the train.
4: Right. So Therese is crying. Yes. Because she's reacting to what she was just involved in. Right. Carol calls and apologizes to her and says, "I was terrible to you." Was Carol actually terrible to her at any point? I think she was a little cold in
3: the car. Yeah, in a way where she should have probably reassured her. I'm that sorry it wasn't that was a blow your up. Your fault. Yeah.
4: Please don't worry about that. It's just like I'm going to take you to the train now.
3: Yeah, I don't think that, given time and space. To think about it, that Therese would have really blamed herself for right. what happened. But in the moment, she just is so inexperienced. She's and never it feels, been married. Yeah. She doesn't have children. She's never had a
4: serious sexual relationship with a woman. And, and it is a weird thing to be a part of when people are like yelling at each other.
3: I think you can also read into the movie that she's a virgin mm-hmm. because she says later that she has not had sex with Richard. Right. So, can't blame her. I don't know. I, what about those other two women that Richard got? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he is annoying, but I think you could see why girls would like him. Yeah. He definitely seems like a dude in the fifties that chicks would like. Okay, yeah. Doesn't he seem like the all American Sure. Yeah. Douchebag. <laughs> <laughs> but now maybe Therese just isn't experienced enough to know that she has seen beyond the decadent fur coats and the endless cigarettes and the upper crust glamour and so she's now more connected to carol in a way that maybe couldn't have happened without that without that raw emotional scene being exposed this is who i am this is my situation that was almost like hey it seems tragic and grim from that painful outset, but the truth of it is more akin to accelerated intimacy, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Like, we've skipped a bunch of steps now. You know who I am. Yeah. This is what I have to deal with. My marriage is ending, but I desperately want to continue seeing my daughter. I don't want to fuck that up. Right. Carol immediately calls to apologize to Therese, the phone ringing before Therese has even stepped through her front door.
1: I want to know... I think I mean I want to ask you things but I'm not sure that you want that
2: ask me things please
3: I did like the line here because again they don't really ever say the words but they say it Therese is trying to explain and she just says I I want to ask you things but she can't even get that really out but then Carol says ask me things I want you to ask me things it is weird that it cuts off there it almost feels like Seinfeld yeah i actually just rewatched one that we did on one of the give us a seconds where they're talking about oral sex performing oral sex on a woman yeah and they basically just use the phrase do everything <laughs> and they just do it in a way where you know what they're talking right. about and in a lot of ways, in a more dramatic, serious way. I'm not trying to make light of the subject matter in Carol, but you know what I mean? They sort of say it without ever really saying
2: it. Yeah. And I And it's
4: interesting. And that's the nice touch is to cut it off there. I could have stood to hear one of the questions. But I think it's more interesting if you don't
3: know if she could actually bring herself to ask yet. Right. Which and I don't know that likely. she could have. Yeah. said it
4: yet at some point in the movie carol has a very frank moment where she's like what are you thinking and then she's like i'm tired of asking you that what do you think therese's first question would be i'm terrified to know
3: (laughs) (laughs) do you eat ass (laughs) i don't know do you think it would be a sexual question or do you think it would be more of a relationship question i don't
4: know probably something as simple as like do you like women Yeah, is this
3: really happening? Right. (laughs) Carol's like, oh, it's on. (laughs) It's on site. (laughs) Although Kate Blanchett and Rooney Mara weren't required to be on the other end of the line whenever they talk on the phone, they offered to do so to help each other out. Thus, whenever Carol and Therese talk to each other on the phone, Blanchett and Mara are really on the phone on the other end of the line. So this is something that this movie has in common with Scream 2. (laughs) Yes. Carol learns that Harge is petitioning the judge to consider a morality clause against her, essentially threatening to expose her homosexuality and seeking full custody of their daughter, Rindy. What is this? The baseball writers and Kurt Schilling? This is (laughs) clearly retribution for not obeying him, for not being a good little wife on Christmas. As Carol puts it, if he can't have me, I can't have Rindy. Seeking counsel from her closest confidant, Abby, Carol decides to take a trip out west until the hearing. She surprises Therese with a suitcase containing a gift of an expensive Canon camera and film. It's clear what is happening between them and where this is going, but still, to reiterate, it is still unspoken.
4: And it does unwind at a slow pace. Carol then invites Therese
3: on this road trip to try and escape the stress of the divorce proceedings, and Therese eagerly accepts. If this was me or your standard, typical guy, we would still be questioning. Yeah, is she, she is she into me? Does right. is this happening? Do we like each other, or are we just friends? <laughs> Up until the moment, nude in bed. Yeah, does she want to have sex with me? I think this <laughs> is happening now. I'm not 100 yeah. percent sure what's happening. However, Richard starts to finally understand what's going on here and this girl that he wants to marry. He accuses Therese of being infatuated with Carol and predicts the older woman will soon tire of Therese. The two argue and their relationship ends as it was always destined to, but Richard just never seemed to see the signs that his girlfriend didn't like him or care about him at all.
4: (laughs) Even though they were pretty clear. You don't even know her.
1: Can forward any of my mail to Chicago General Post. I paid rent right through February. I had a little extra money saved
3: for our trip. Our trip, Terry. And now you—I don't even believe this is happening.
1: I can't explain it. I
3: just—what? You got one hell of a crush on this woman, is what. You're like a schoolgirl.
1: I do not, I just like her as all. I'm fond of anyone I can really talk to.
3: Nice.
4: You know what I think? I think two weeks from now, you're gonna be wishing
3: that... She's gonna get tired of you, and you're gonna wish that you would never... You
1: don't be. understand! Well,
3: oh, I do. I understand completely. You're in a trance!
1: I'm wide awake. I've never been more awake in my life. Why don't you leave me alone?
3: You've already touched on it a little bit, and... There's really not much to say moment to moment breaking down the plot, but this road trip really is the centerpiece of the movie. You see the vintage roadside diners. Oh, it's unbelievable. More vintage Christmas stuff moving into New Year's now. It's all so heavenly to look at. It
4: makes me want to do a drive like this.
3: Therese gets Carol a Christmas present as well. It's a, a vinyl record plus the photographs. It's all new and exciting for her. This is her self-discovery. And as I said, she is a virgin, I believe. And I can't imagine has even kissed that many people. So this is all more of a coming-of-age moment for her. And it's all very fresh and new and exciting. But the dark cloud, I guess, is the future that we
4: know is awaiting Carol. And Mm -hmm. that whole unpleasant business with her daughter It's sort of a nice escape time for Carol since her daughter's with her husband and her husband's family like all the way across the country for this holiday season. I
3: could just watch on an endless reel the gorgeous winter sunsets and horizons during these car moments here. The factories with the smoke. I love it. Therese falling asleep in the car. It's gorgeous. Yep. Incredible. Harge angrily looking for Carol because Rindy now wants her mother on Christmas and they have that tense scene with Abby.
0: She's not here.
3: Well, That's impossible because she's not at home and she's not with me, so she must be with you.
0: Yeah.
2: You know, Harge, you have a point.
0: You've spent 10 years making damn sure her only point of reference is you. Your job, your friends, your family. Where is she? God damn it.
1: She's still my wife, Abby. She's my responsibility. You know,
0: that's some way of showing it, slapping her with an injunction. I'm closing the door. I love her. I can't help you with that.
4: Yeah, that part is confusing to me because I thought they were supposed to fly out that morning. Yeah, it almost seems as if they flew back. Yeah. So I don't know. Which, I, I mean, they are wealthy, so. Yeah. And I guess one of the things you can read into it is he's blaming his mother, but is all of this a play by Harge to try to get Carol back? Because yeah, it does. Keep, so. Yeah. And there is a lot of overlap, almost, with the
3: Draper marriage. For sure. In Mad Men. She's not a lesbian in Mad Men, but she did have the extramarital affair after he had cheated on her relentlessly. That's right, so. yeah. There is that same sort of anger, though, that betrayal because she did it in Mad Men. And then I see a lot of similarities. Kyle Chandler kind of looks like John Hamm. Yeah. Really. It actually reminded me of a scene that's in the novel It. Okay. When Beverly's abusive husband, Tom, beats up her friend looking for her.
4: That's right. And that's not in. I am still actively listening to that audio book that you recommended three years ago. on Did the... you get to that scene? I believe so. Yeah. Yeah, because there's way more
3: with that abusive guy where mm-hmm. he actually goes and follows her to Dairy and everything, right? Which isn't really in the made for TV movie. I, I don't think it's in the new movie either. I can't remember.
2: Mm.
3: I don't but think whatever. So. Yeah. So yeah, this scene kind of you're afraid a little bit for Abby too. For sure. Yeah. But to be fair to Harge, he never actually hits anybody. He does fall down at one point where Which it is, sort of almost gets physical with yeah. Carol, but not really.
4: Yeah, I feel like Carol knocked him over. <laughs> it was just a sad
2: choice. <laughs> she's,
3: <laughs> she's like a jujitsu black belt yeah. or something. Now, there is a weirdness with Abby. He does pretty much take her word for it that yeah. she's not there. He right. doesn't force his way into the house. He is or
4: confused anything. by it. If she's not with me and she's not with you, where could she be? Meanwhile, out in the motels, Therese being a little creep, (laughs) smelling Carol's clothes. Oh, boy. Yeah, she's in the
3: shower. And then
4: she finds Carol's gun. So you're like, oh, boy. Definitely feels a little bit more ominous. When you don't know what this movie is about, there are things that make it seem like maybe more is going on. There is weird elements to the movie that, once you understand it and you watch it all, it doesn't seem like anything. But gun is at play, this guy that comes. Yeah, and there's
3: a continuous. Evolution and cat and mouse game going on between Carol and Therese, too. And you really just have to pay attention because, again, they never say anything. So, for example, they get to a motel pretty early on. It might be the first night, actually. And Carol is booking them two separate rooms. That's right. Yeah. Therese says, Well, what about the presidential suite? I mean, if the rate's attractive. (laughs) So, Carol agrees. And then what happens? They are sleeping in different beds. Yep. Carol is asleep, and Therese is awake, which I think you're supposed to take that she's disappointed. Yeah, right. She was pushing them to be in the same room, but it's almost as if Carol is saying, you're not ready yet. Hold on. Yeah. Let's pump the brakes a little bit.
4: We got a lot of hotels to get to. Yeah, and
3: I'm not sure if you're 100% supposed to read it that way or if maybe Carol is a little reluctant you can take Carol's reaction a a couple different ways maybe she's saying hold on maybe she's not sure yet if she should
4: do this well they do have some scenes with Carol and Abby where Abby's kind of frank with Carol about like hey what's going on here like what are you doing and Carol's sort of like I don't know (laughs) you know yeah I know what I'm getting myself into and I shouldn't but I can't help it yeah and because of it being a less
3: accepting society perhaps she's carrying the weight of I need to let this young woman find her own way because I don't want to influence her too much to choose a life that's going to be more difficult. Now, before anyone jumps on me, I'm not saying that being gay is a choice, but in 1952, perhaps she was just saying, I don't know exactly what this girl wants and maybe she doesn't either. And I should let her make up her own mind. And that, again, speaks
4: to the age difference which would
3: maybe be something people could get more into
4: i also think even though she wants to be here and she wants to keep spending time with therese after being slapped with that injunction this is for real her relationship with her daughter is at risk yeah and doing more to jeopardize that i think does hold her back she
3: knows that it was a risky play
4: yeah to invite therese but at the same
3: time you wonder well why would she choose to go on a road trip at all right she could have taken a flight to miami beach and just stayed there Mm -hmm. in one place but it seems like she sort of set up circumstances where she thought she could have her cake and eat it too not that she shouldn't i I know that that using that expression almost carries a connotation like i'm saying she's doing something she shouldn't be doing or she's being greedy she should be able to carry on the relationship of her choosing and also be able to have custody of her child but i'm saying like in that world she knows that that's very difficult and not likely but she's still trying to do it anyway yep and maybe she's created those circumstances where i'm like okay well if i go on a car trip and we sneak out together that kind of a thing but it doesn't quite work out the first night carol and therese sleep in separate beds and are not intimate together as i said a turn of events that seems to disappoint therese in ohio Therese meets a traveling salesman named Tommy Tucker. I thought this was a good scene that sort of illustrated who these two women are because you can compare and contrast how Carol and Therese interact with this new strange man. Therese, who normally seems timid and shy, is very friendly because that's what's expected of a woman mm-hmm. in 1952. Carol is more suspicious. Guarded. Quiet, guarded, no strangers. Doesn't really want to interact with this guy. I'm not saying she automatically right, assumes right. he's a PI, but she. Well, why would she want to engage yeah, yeah. with this person? A few days later, now as far west as Iowa, on New Year's Eve, Carol and Therese kiss for the first time and have sex. Mm-hmm. Both Blanchett and Mara said that they had great chemistry on set and filming their love scene was relatively easy. Blanchette credited director Todd Haynes for making her and Mara feel comfortable. There was a lot of trust on the set between Rooney and Todd and Todd and I, and he was very clear about how he wanted to shoot it and what parts he was going to use, so we all felt very safe. The next morning, they discover this man, Tucker, has followed them all the way to Iowa, and so. When I say the next morning, I mean the next morning after they have sex, not the next morning after they met this guy. It's been a few days now. They've traveled from Ohio all the way to Iowa, and now he's there and is actually a private investigator hard hired to obtain evidence against Carol.
4: Well, it all happens with Carol going to the main office, and they're like, oh, there's a telegram for you. Yes. Which is weird. I wrote this down, and I still don't
3: really know what the answer is. I'm confused over what the telegram is and who it's from.
4: I think it's Abby telling her. I don't know how Abby knows, though. I feel like there's some indication that the telegram came from Abby. It would have to be because I don't even think her lawyer would know where she is. Right. Abby's probably the only person who would
3: have any idea where she is because she does have scenes, Carol does, of calling Abby a couple times in these motels. So clearly there's this communication going on.
4: How on earth Abby would have any indication that something like this is going on? I don't know. Yeah, I don't know either. Now, I mean, who knows? Harge seems like he can talk out of turn. Potentially, <laughs> yeah.
3: this could be what Sarah Paulson was referring to. Maybe there are there's a scene where Harge confronts her again and says something. Right. Or somewhere. There might have been another scene that got cut. I don't know. That's the thing.
4: I think after you watch this movie one time, this part is weird that you don't know what led up to this, but. The mystery is better because it is all of a sudden a change in Carol's demeanor. She's going for her gun. She's frantic in a panic, and you're like, where is this heading?
3: I guess the way that they do it in the movie, you have to get to a way where she's angrily going to confront this guy the way that she does. But you could redo it where they find out that he's spying on them and put the piece together that it has to be hard without their even involving a telegram.
4: Yeah, correct.
3: But I guess the way that it was originally written had something to do with that telegram, so they had to leave that part in, and it is sort of confusing as to how that all plays out. But Carol confronts Tucker in his motel room, threatening him at gunpoint, but he claims to have already sent the tape recordings back
4: to Harge. Do you believe that? Well, I don't know, but she says, I'll double it, I'll triple it. Now, all indications from the movie that her wealth is from Harge, because after the divorce, she's working a normal job. Do you get that or no? He hasn't frozen the assets yet, yeah. so <laughs> I guess he'd be <laughs> I don't know. She's using the Harge A money. lot of times, though, yeah.
3: wealthy people married wealthy people.
4: That's true, yeah. In high society. And it's, it's also possible she gets that job just to like, occupy her life, so
3: to meet chicks, yeah, and she's
4: and she's still eating at nice restaurants, so I guess she has money either way. I do
3: think that Harge would give her money though, because if part of the deal is to not expose why they're getting a divorce, true, then he can't be seen being yeah. a guy that's a deadbeat guy, right, in high society like that back then. Probably, I'm guessing. I think, and as you said, I do think he loves her too, so right. he probably would still provide for her in some way. Carol and Therese turn back and this is when she does have that mini breakdown finally and she sort of realizes that she always says yes and she's always taking and she's not quite present in these moments but it doesn't feel like questioning whether or not she's gay or whether or not she's attracted to Carol. If anything, that seems to be the one thing that was just instinctual. Like She didn't have to think about that or choose it. She knew immediately. You could tell from that moment in the department store. But everything else that's happened, she hasn't asked the right questions. She hasn't figured out what's going on. In other words, she's let Carol's domestic drama affect her and let herself be a pawn in it. But she hasn't even said or done anything. She hasn't asserted herself in this relationship yet or in any of her relationships in life. She's just sort of let things happen. She hasn't put together her portfolio yet she just hasn't really taken that next step in life and it did remind me a little bit of the big dawning of the truth and the perks of being a wallflower sure yeah
0: what are you thinking you know how many times a day I ask you that sorry what am I thinking I'm thinking that I'm utterly selfish and I... Don't do this. You have no idea. How would you have known?
1: And I should have said no to you, but I never say no. And it's selfish because... Because I just take everything and I don't know anything and... I don't know what I want and how could I when all I ever do is say yes to everything.
0: Gave willingly. It's not your fault, Therese.
2: All right. <laughs>
3: The next day in Chicago, Therese awakens to find Abby in the hotel room. Carol has flown home to fight for custody of Rindy. Abby has arrived to drive Therese home. Also sort
4: of a shocking moment. There's a few. This guy being this private investigator and then the whole sequence with the gun. But then I was like equally surprised by this moment. This is the part even... Aside from the telegram where it feels like you can sense
3: the missing scenes because there's this interaction between Therese and Abby that doesn't make any sense, really. The why do you hate me stuff? Yeah. Or yeah. Where is? When did they even interact right. before? Yeah. That is weird. I agree. And I love this movie. And, I, would, I of course, I would give it a glowing review. But I would say that that almost detracts from how you're presenting gay people it makes it just seem so overly dramatic and catty either gay people or women or something that just like a bad character trait because without those scenes
4: you're like what the fuck who would just say that yeah I think Abby and Carol have this much longer complex relationship and Therese is putting yeah, it this does, on Abby like It does read, she would be like, jealous of yeah, Therese yeah
3: that there's just some sort of a jealousy thing right. but I think upon rewatch that didn't ring true for me. I, I, yeah, I, I sense there I was something missing there. I agree. I feel like part of it was knowing that Sarah Bolson had said a lot of her character was taken sure, out sure. So true. that factored into thinking. But, yeah, it felt like, oh, there must have been some big dramatic moment there or yeah. something somewhere.
4: I do think that the part of the exchange that does ring true, though, is when <laughs> Abby's like, oh, I'm going to drive you across the country because I hate you. And yeah, she goes, it, well, you're doing that for Carol. It's like, well, yeah, that well, part.
3: I'm saying, even if there was a deleted scene there, yeah, yeah. that Therese is not understanding the situation. Right. Abby does not hate her. Whatever she's reacting to was probably something more being upset with Carol for taking this unnecessary risk, for yeah. being reckless, whatever. And because of Therese's insecurity mm-hmm. at her own inexperience, she's misinterpreted this. Factoring into the way she was crying after the scene with Harge, too, where she feels like responsible for something that's happening. She's guilty for not being gay, but for disrupting Carol's life. Yeah. She's taking the blame for Harge being angry. She's taking the blame for Abby potentially being upset at Carol in a scene that we didn't see. This is all speculation. But
4: I mean, I will say it must be nice to have a friend like Abby in your life who's going to do this for you. I'm sure their relationship is more clearly defined in the novel, I would imagine.
3: (laughs) Abby gives Therese a letter from Carol that is narrated over the melancholy drive back to New York, essentially telling Therese their relationship cannot continue. Therese is beyond devastated. Back at home, she gives in and calls Carol, but knowing she risks losing custody of Rindy if she continues her relationship with Therese, Carol hangs up. I did like that Therese finally is saying it, though, Mm -hmm. because she says, I miss you, I miss you, into the phone once it's been hung up. Yep. Therese finally creates that portfolio of her photographs and gets a job at the New York Times. In the meantime, Carol has been
4: seeing a psychotherapist as a condition of the divorce settlement. Now, she's playing a role at this point. Carol has come back and agreed to some sort of... Yeah, that's what I was going to
3: say. There is a scene... Yeah, where they're all having dinner with who I guess is probably Harge's parents. Uh huh. And there's like an SNL level tension at the dinner. Yeah. <laughs> it's Carol Harge, the in-laws. It's like that skit from the '90s with Will Ferrell, we don't Anna s- Gasteyer yeah. and Sarah Michelle Gellar, where no. she's like, "Shut up, you drunken witch!" Where they just <laughs> start shouting because she's like, "He's not a doctor." <laughs>
4: We certainly don't see it all, but Carol has come back with a plan to placate to try to smooth things over. Whatever yeah. I was going through was I had some sort of mental episode, and now I'm all good. Yeah. She is doing that as a way to try to get her daughter back.
3: I believe, though, that they are probably still divorcing. I, I think guessing, so, yeah. But that Harge wants to do it on his terms right? where they still seem normal and it's not going to be... It is like one of those, like, it's
4: like the Salem, it's like, we'll admit you're a witch, and then it's okay.
3: (laughs) I was thinking of other SNL sketch ideas, and so you could do a parody of Carol, but instead of Carol, call it Karen. (laughs) Where she's at the department store, but she's, like, complaining to the manager. (laughs) I don't know. I can't even remember where I was going with that. I was just thinking of the way Carol, like, the title card. The super 16 millimeter film stock and right. how it looks, the filter they use and everything. And just, but it's this Karen. It's just, <laughs> I don't know. 1950s. and I'm here for it. Rindy becomes this pawn now being used to make her mother conform and behave and be quote unquote normal. During a confrontational meeting in mid-April with divorced lawyers, Carol suddenly admits to the truth of what the tapes contain, refuses to deny her sexuality to avoid going to court and the likelihood of a public scandal she tells harge that he can have custody of rindy if he allows her regular visits we expect given the seriousness of the charges and the incontestability of the evidence that the court will grant sole custody of the child to my client not so
4: fast jerry My client's psychotherapist is perfectly satisfied with her recovery from the events of the winter, asserting she is more than capable of caring for her own child. She's had no further contact with uh, the girl in question, and we have sworn depositions from two Saddlebrook Institute psychiatrists clearly stating that in their opinions, a series of events precipitated by my client's husband drove her to suffer an emotional break, which resulted in the presumed aberrant behavior. That's absurd! Furthermore, All given right, the way Fred, these tapes were obtained and recorded, we're confident of their inadmissibility.
3: First off, don't. Fred, I want to see these depositions, and secondly... May I w-
4: speak?
0: <clears throat> I won't deny you the truth of what's contained this is this off case, the Fred. record, honey. May as well be on the record. Harge? I want you to be happy. I didn't give you that, I I failed you. I mean, we both could have given more, but we gave each other Rendy and that is the most breathtaking, the most generous of gifts. So why are we spending so much time trying to keep her from each other? Now what happened with Therese, I want it and I will not deny it or say that I, but I do regret and I grieve for the mess we are about to make of our child's life. We, Harge, are both responsible. So I think um, we, we should set it right. Now I think that Harge, should have custody of rindy could i suggest we just take a
4: break for a moment
0: no fred Will you let me me speak because if you don't i will not be able to cope now i'm no martyr i have no clue what is best for me but i do know and i feel it in my bones what is best for my daughter now i want visits with her arch i don't care if they're supervised i just want them to be regular There was a time when I would have done almost anything. I would have locked myself away to keep Brindy with me. What use am I to her, to us, if I'm living against my own grain? So that's the deal. I won't, I cannot negotiate anymore. You take it or leave it. But if you leave it, we go to court. And if we go to court, It'll get ugly. And we're not ugly people, oh, Hey,
4: Carol. Excuse me, Carol.
3: And this is the big emotional moment. Oh, sure. Of the film. And you do have that hearts burning and quiet defiance feel of right probably the closest the movie comes to a, like a rah rah moment like yeah let's go rally the troops and you can see Harge sitting there and when she starts launching into this at first he doesn't know where she's going and emotions are high and everything and then when he realizes what she's willing to concede to just sort of allow herself to be free yeah he does buckle, and you can tell without it being made official, like, oh, yeah, he's going to agree to the regular visitation. Oh, he's taken aback? I think
4: us as viewers are taken aback.
3: Yeah, because she's now willing to concede the one thing that right. she was fighting for just because it's not worth denying herself because then she's not really being who she is. And right. that's what Nagy was talking about in the quote about motherhood and the radical ideas is, Basically, what Carol is saying is I can't be her mother if I'm pretending to be this other person who I'm not. And that is an interesting thing because I think a lot of people would think, well, you have to just sacrifice more of yourself to be a mother. That kind of an idea. And I don't know what's right or not, but it's definitely a more radical way of thinking. Being true to yourself, I guess, would allow you to be a better person and better example.
4: Or maybe even just feel okay Being yourself and going through life I think you cause yourself some Degree of unhappiness I guess the severity can vary But trying to fake it through life and be Someone that you're not yeah
3: And I guess what she's saying is how could I be good For someone then How could I be her mother And it is an unexpected Compromise because you know we're ramping up Towards the end of the movie and I think Traditionally you would be expecting More of a tragic Breaking point here yeah, And instead you're seeing Harge sort of back right down and you're thinking, okay, without saying it, you're like, okay, well, this is the compromise and that's kind of unexpected. And it's not ideal because a heterosexual mother in this situation is always going to be granted full custody, no question. Yeah. But she has to settle for visitation because of her situation. And it's certainly not fair or right, but under these circumstances it seems probably the best that she could potentially hope for because unfortunately she doesn't really have the upper hand
4: right exactly and the other thing that I think you could read into what would happen anyway based on what we've already seen from the movie is when Harge picks and chooses he's just gonna bring Rindy over he's been doing that
3: and I do think you're right he loves her and I think he is going to let her be her mother he just has a hard time Like a lot of society, accepting what's going on. You have to understand, he's probably taking it personally in a way that he shouldn't. It has nothing to do with him. This is her. This is who she is, Carol. But you can pretty much guarantee he doesn't think like that. This is somehow something to do with him. He's not man enough in some way, or at least he's afraid other people will think that. He should have done something differently. You know, there's a million ways that he's trying to process this, but I don't think that he's going to actually withhold Rindy from her or anything like that. I don't get that sense.
4: No, I agree with you. This was all a power play, and he's using the resources that he has, and it's certainly a misogynist world.
3: And I think he also understands in that moment, since she's willing to go to that length. Yeah, it is like a little bit of a- Win her back. It's a
4: breaking point. Yeah,
3: he finally understands this is who she is, and I cannot make her be who I want her to right. be. Right. Carol writes to Therese, and they meet in the lounge of the Ritz Tower Hotel. Very subtly, we have returned back to the beginning of the film, only this time we'll learn the nature of Carol and Therese's conversation before they are interrupted. Carol reveals she is going to work for a furniture house and has taken an apartment on Madison Avenue. Therese declines Carol's invitation to live with her. Carol tells Therese that she is meeting associates in the Oak Room and that if she changes her mind, they can have dinner. Therese remains still and Carol says, I love you. They are interrupted by Jack, a colleague who has not seen Therese in months, and Carol departs and we're basically where we started the film it actually was reminding me a lot of jimmy world okay i wasn't expecting that (laughs) the song for me this is heaven okay the lyric if i can't let myself be happy now then when that's basically the the speech that carol is giving
4: that's true to
3: therese here yeah i wouldn't have placed that something that i've also tried in real life (laughs) <laughs> only semi-successfully, but I also thought that you could probably sync up the album "Clarity" by Jimmy Eat World if you press play right <laughs> as you hit play on the on the Blu-ray of Carol. It probably I all think syncs so, up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> During the height of all of that kind of bullshit, when people were saying that about the one Coheed and Cambria album and one of the, the Lord, Lord of the Rings, of the Rings. yeah, yeah I, I don't even remember which movie. I think it was the Fellowship of the Ring. A friend of mine, when I was in a band with him, made Uh the joke about one of the Get Up Kids EPs (laughs) syncing up with Back to the Lake. The One Years episode. The One Years episode that we covered in one of our very first episodes on this podcast.
4: That would be brilliant. And I mean, that's a joke that's
3: probably funny to almost no one. They're like, what the fuck are you even talking about? But if you're familiar with the Get Up Kids and kind of just how we were kind of emo yeah. in our early 20s and the stupid song <laughs> lyrics we had, and then also our obsession with
4: The Lake and Back to the Lake, which
3: my obsession evidently carried over into doing this podcast That's true, yeah. like a decade later. was a
4: great episode of television. I mean, what, do you, what can I tell you?
3: Just the idea that a band <laughs> would make an EP that sicks up with this episode <laughs> of The Wonder Years. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that kills me. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. Were you a Jimmy World guy? Did kind you of. Like that album, Clarity? Yeah. I think that that album does kind of remind me of this movie. Okay. I, I wouldn't
4: have placed that, but I, I think I can be convinced. I don't know. I think you could sync it up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I do like Carol's approach, too. It's one
3: that a lot of our listeners could probably relate to, where oh, it's I'm just sure. sort of like, well, I guess you probably wouldn't want to, but Would you know, you, what, I, but unless. Therese is like I haven't heard from you in months Now you're saying do you want to live with me Showing
4: up with some kind of crazy proposal And then immediately putting the ball in my court (laughs) (laughs) Yeah it's a move
0: I wasn't sure you'd come It's nice of you to see me Don't say that Do you hate me Therese Oh
1: how could I hate you
0: Abby tells me you're thriving. You have no idea how pleased I am for you. And you look very fine, you know? You've suddenly blossomed. Is that what comes of getting away from me? No. What? Nothing. Parch and I are selling the house. I've taken an apartment on Madison oh, thank Avenue. You. And a job, believe it or not. I'm going to work at a furniture house on Fourth Avenue as a buyer. Have you seen Rindy? Once or twice. She's living with Arj, for now. It's the right thing. Anyway, the apartment's a nice big one. It's big enough for two. I was hoping you might like to come live with me, but I guess you won't. Would you? Oh, I don't think so. I'm meeting some people at the Oak Room at 9. If you want to have dinner. If you change your mind, I I think you'd like them. Therese, is that you? (laughs) What do you know? I'm saying to myself, I know that girl. Jack. Gee, it's great to see you, Therese. It's been months. Months. Jack, this is
3: Carol Aird. Some time has passed, and we'll we'll get there in a second. Actually, basically the beginning of this movie starts in the build-up to Christmas 1952, and it ends probably mid-April or mid-Spring. 1953 so some months have Passed you sure. have to wonder
4: What was going on with Therese mm-hmm. in the months Since she's last it has To interact with Carol missing and sadness Because this is a low Percentage shot by Carol anytime There's the passing Of time with no communication and I'm going to Show up with some crazy move like we're Going to run away together or live together who and Is she me. me yeah I know right I'm just Saying that's a low percentage shot
3: well, no, I'm saying from Therese's perspective. I know, but what was going on with her? Was she considering herself a lesbian? Do you think? Is that even I, a question that is worthy of our time? I don't know, but I'm I just think wondering. She's in love with Carol, yeah. You know, I think. That's, I think that's kind of the beauty of the movie is that it doesn't matter, right? And, and Carol does the whole seem point to have that effect on people.
4: <laughs> yeah, there's a whole bunch of people in the world that will just do whatever Carol wants them to.
3: There's a lot of pain hear from Therese uncertainty because clearly she's been hurt and wounded but from her perspective and I think you have to say in all fairness she's been jerked around Mm -hmm. because she was thrust in the middle of this drama obviously she doesn't want Carol's life to be negatively affected she doesn't want Carol's daughter to be taken out of her world or anything but unfortunately because of Carol's I I guess you would say reckless behavior she's has pulled Therese into that, and now she's like, why would I want to get... How do I know it's not still fucked up? What if I get mixed up with you and then you have to run away again? Well, and it is a
4: cold move, by the way, to just leave me in a hotel. Yeah. And have me ride back with your friend. Your ex-lover. Some people would (laughs) say that that's a bridge too far, and there's no coming back from that.
3: Therese accepts Jack's ride to a party, but once there, finds she cannot connect with anyone. So when we saw this in the theater, mm-hmm. we've had this nearly two-hour journey to get here. Yeah. But Therese has turned her down and has gone to this party. At what point did you think, okay, she's going to go back? Or did you,
4: were you, did you not think it at all? I was originally like, this is a Peggy Olsen change moment where she's now moving on with the new young crowd she's feeling more secure with herself and, her and she's gonna meet a new girl there yeah I, I think so i think that's what i originally thought there is some teasing of that right yeah yeah
3: and i guess that's almost an answer to whether or not she thought of herself as a lesbian or a bisexual
4: yeah. or anything none of that it was just carol she still seems alone in a crowd but she does seem more confident with herself than she did when we first met her Oh, yeah, there's definitely been a transformation, I would say.
3: Therese leaves for the Oak Room. She scans the diners and sees Carol at a table. Therese hesitates, then walks towards Carol. Their eyes meet. Carol gazes at Therese with a smile that slowly grows, and the film ends. Yeah. First of all, it's proof that LGBTQ stories can be happy too. Absolutely. No one has to die. It doesn't have to be all about how hateful and horrible
4: life is. But you do get elements of that still. Yeah, well, that
3: stuff's important, and I'm not saying that you need to gloss over painful truths or anything like that, and I'm not saying that those films don't have their place, but a lot of times I think that you get overwhelmed with that being the only option. And this is a reminder that it doesn't have to be that way. There's a restrained bliss, too, like the whole movie. You don't even get the big triumphant kiss because a public display of affection like that would probably not be a thing that would happen between two women
4: (laughs) (laughs) they just start making out on that table right so you don't get the
3: big dramatic sweeping kiss that's true yeah or any even declaration you
4: know what Gaze, g-a-z-e more intimate i'd say okay yeah how about that no it just goes along with the subtleties of the movie
3: carol smokes cigarettes not only because it was commonly accepted in the times the movie is set, but also because the physical act of smoking is used as symbolism and as unspoken language. Carol is shown smoking when she is confident or flirtatious and when she is anxious or constrained. However, Carol did not smoke on the road trip with Therese, neither in the car nor in restaurants, motel, and hotel rooms Not smoking in these scenes conveyed that she felt happiness.
4: In between confident and anxious. You don't see
3: Carol smoke again until she's back home and striving for joint custody of her daughter and when she meets Therese in the Ritz Tower hotel restaurant. Therese is shown smoking cigarettes when she is self-conscious, such as her first lunch date with Carol, or anxious during their drive Back to the Drake Hotel in Chicago after their romance is found out. She was also shown holding a lit cigarette while picking through her box of photographs. The film received a 10-minute long standing ovation at the 2015 Cannes Film Festival and has only grown in stature ever since. It's, I think, one of the great romance films of our time. I'd say so. In the first Major critical survey of LGBT films conducted by the BFI in 2016. *Carol* was named the best LGBT film of all time. British Film Institute, the 30 best LGBT films of all time, March 21st, 2016. In the mid-1960s, a treatment of Patricia Highsmith's novel was written for the screen with Lana Turner envisioned as the title character. It is Hmm. unclear whether Turner was ever approached about the role, but her involvement would have generated great controversy given the impossibility of a mainstream star playing a lesbian in a film of this era. A previous treatment of the novel written in 1952 had altered the name and gender of the title character from Carol to Carl. Uh, Wow. In order to adhere to the strict Hays Code, which was in force at the time, in the end, however, this version did not make it to the screen either. Good. And it would have been over 60 years until the novel was finally developed successfully in 2015. Ultimately, yes, thank God. Yeah, <laughs> that really. never happened. Unless, of course, they could have done it in a way where it was obvious, but still within the code. But right. They probably wouldn't have been able to pull it off. Yeah, I'm yeah. sure that script
4: would have. Maybe Billy Wilder. Right. <laughs>
3: Anyway, folks, that's Carol. It's a good one to check out if you're
4: looking for new holiday feeling films that aren't overly Christmas. Yeah, you described it as cozy. It really is a work of art in my mind. I love the the costume, the wardrobe, the score, the visual element of it, and it's the complete package.
3: I think that it's pretty cool that even though it didn't get nominated for Best Picture, it's probably become more of a darling than even Spotlight, which won Best Picture. That's true, yeah. Which is a good film, and I'm not disparaging it, but it's one of those movies that seems important in the moment, but how often are you going back? Totally. Whereas Carol, you could probably watch it for the rest of your life. Absolutely,
4: every holiday season.
3: Let's get to segments. I want to start, actually, with email this time instead because that's going to lead us into recommendations. All right. All
2: right. All right. All right, you go ahead. You go ahead. You keep it secret. But you remember this. When you control the mail, you control information.
3: This week's email comes from Eric. Oh. If you'd like to reach us via email, have your email read on the show, greatestpod at gmail.com. Eric asks about the film Napoleon. Mm. Will this help us stray away from superhero movies, giant movies with terrific actors with original subject matter? He actually sent this back at the beginning of November. I told him I wanted to wait until we saw Napoleon. (laughs) Here we sit. (laughs) Here we sit. Napoleon has been out now for a while, and neither of us have seen it yet, which I should have seen coming, because unfortunately, now that I am 40 years old and- I don't know, probably because of the pandemic breaking up that momentum of going to the theater all the time. I just don't go to the movies that much. A lot of times I'll say, oh, I can just wait till streaming. And then even when it gets to streaming, by that point, I don't even care anymore. And it's a vicious cycle. I do want to see it, but I'll answer in the same way that I did when I replied to the email, which is I don't really think we can count on any one movie defeating superhero films or Marvel in general. The best bet is Marvel defeating themselves, which is already kind of happening. I believe their last film,
4: The Marvels, is their lowest box well, office. Well, we watched to date. it happen with Star Wars.
3: Well, at a certain point whether you love Marvel or don't. There just has to be fatigue. Yeah, there's totally. just too much of it, and and culture changes. Yeah, and I know that people who are big fans maybe don't want to admit it, but. A lot of the films are very similar, and so the more of them that keep coming out and you've already hit all the biggest characters, so now you're digging deeper into the bench of Marvel characters, so they're not necessarily generating that built-in excitement Mm. as, say, Iron Man or Captain America. All you can really hope for is that it'll burn itself out as fads and trends always do. And that it will kind of go the way of the Western where it was a thing that lasted for a while and was a big genre and then just sort of faded out. My biggest fear, I guess, would be what is going to replace superhero movies or is that just going to be the end of the theatrical experience (laughs) now? I don't know. Because theater chains, I think, are only really around because of movies like superhero movies and a few other blockbusters. If it wasn't for that... I don't know that the other things could sustain it. If you subtract the biggest movies of the year and just left it to all the mid-card stuff, I don't think that's enough
4: anymore. No.
3: If blockbusters go the way of the Dodo, I think you're going to have a death of the multiplex and you're going to only have small two or three screen theaters and maybe only a couple per city. And I don't know how many movies will even be released theatrically at that point. I know that's really grim, and that's still a ways away, I think. I don't think that's going to happen immediately, but we're going to have another rough, I don't know, anywhere from three to six-month period at some point when we get hit with this strike. I know that the strike is over, but they didn't do anything for months, so there's going to be a period where there's no new things, really. If
4: that's going to kill theaters even more, I don't know. But Napoleon, I'm excited to see it. I was surprised how people are into it, and I don't even just mean like in terms of them reviewing it, but more people in my life that don't go to the theater that often have gone to see Napoleon, and I just would not have expected it, but I I do want to watch it at some point. It's just, I I don't know, it it wasn't one that for me I was like, this needs to be like an opening weekend. Yeah, it's weird.
3: I would have expected as I got older to be more into biopics and historical dramas, and yet That seems to be something that I like less and less and have less tolerance for as I get older.
4: I will say it is the only way that I know stuff about history is if there's a movie about it. (laughs) Well,
3: I've heard that not everything in Napoleon is (laughs) super accurate, so I don't know. Eric, if you've seen Napoleon, send us another email and tell us about it. That could be a thing that our listeners could email us about, too. If they've seen new movies in the theater and they want to give us their reviews of them. Oh, yeah. Don't go crazy with it, but if you want to give us a a few sentences on new releases and stuff, that's fine, too. We could even have correspondence if you want. I don't know. We'll see. Mm
1: -hmm. (laughs) What are you doing? What? What?
3: Vincent stopped making picks.
1: Well, how am I going to know what movies to see?
3: We have a wide variety of Gene picks.
1: Gene's trash.
3: I'm Gene. But that takes us into recommendations because we have seen some new or semi-new films. Oh, yeah. I'll let you discuss the new Alexander Payne movie first, and then I'm going to discuss something I saw in the theater, and then we'll both discuss the new Todd Haynes film, which is currently streaming on Netflix.
4: I did see The Holdovers. I Uh, was supposed to go. Yeah, tickets purchased by Lindsay, and she thought of you. (laughs) <laughs> that was sweet it's I now in her head that. she's like we can't go to the movies we have to at least invite zach i might be waterworks only yeah <laughs> in terms of theater choice for a while okay well that's good to know so zach was a, a last minute but not unexpected bail yeah <laughs> is a, is a way predictable it. bail yeah. <laughs> after the ticket was already bought i did but pay I, for it I, I do have to just talk about a little bit of the night because i'm like I, it worked out so well that zach wasn't there because i A slew of bad situations leading up to the movie, including going to a bar with not that many people in it where we could not get served, could not get food ordered in time. We had an hour before the movie and just, like, barely got one drink out of the ordeal. Then we walked to the theater, which I've been to, I I don't know, 30 times in my life. Yeah. And never have had a line. (laughs) Never one time have had a line. And there's a line out the door outside. And people are irritable, like what's going on and then you're finding out that there's one scanner down so they're like scanning people one by one very slowly and then at some point we've waited and we're kind of in the building and then a group of people behind us are just like all right fuck it we're just going and they go past the scanner so we follow and there's like six or seven people ahead of us and then this elderly man this usher out of a david lynch movie (laughs) stops Lindsay and says oh you have to go scan and like the line is still back out the door and Lindsay just goes well, what about all those people? And like she can't even finish saying. This guy is like scared out of his boots. He's like <laughs> No. Oh, okay. Your the- your screen is right there. Go ahead. <laughs> it was the best. I'm glad it happened because we did walk it like the movie was about to start. So it's Old Friend Alexander Payne and speaking of cozy like Carol, this is very much a cozy movie. It's winter at a boys school in New England. Yeah. Paul Giamatti, Alexander Payne. Yeah, Dream Team. We love Sideways, of course. And I will say the first 20 minutes or so, I was a little bit like, I'm not sure about this. The Giamatti character is a little too weird. But then he sort of turns into his character from Sideways. <laughs> like, that's sort of just what happens. I kind of feel right at home again. And I-, I did enjoy it quite a bit. There's Sideways. There's Election. I, I don't know that he's ever going to make a movie that I love as much as that again. But, I you know, I loved it more than The Descendants or Descendants. I guess it's you no know, the. In Nebraska. Yeah, Nebraska. Did you
3: ever see Downsizing?
4: I did not watch Downsizing. It wasn't as bad as people were saying.
3: Okay. It is kind of dumb, and it's not nearly as good as his other movies. Okay, right. Whatever you thought his worst movie was, it's probably worse than that. But it was still kind of watchable. I did want to see The Holdovers, and I almost rented it, but- it costs $20 just for yeah, a rental. Just wait it <laughs> out. I would have paid 20 for the digital purchase, I, but that was $30. The
4: crazy thing about this time now is like you usually don't even have to wait that long. Like Something shows up on one of the streaming programs that you have, and it was just in theaters three weeks ago.
3: Yeah. I know. They don't really do themselves any favors yeah. because they've all been trying to launch their own streaming services. So what incentive do people have to go to the theater? None. <laughs> right. I actually went to the movies the night before, which was also a factor in me not going to the holdovers. But the biggest one was just the theater. I yeah. just could not see myself going to that theater <laughs> a on a Friday night.
4: around there is tough. Especially this time of
3: year. Yeah, yeah.
4: The whole thing. A lot of foot traffic.
3: I went the night before and I saw one of my favorite films of the year, Ooh. Godzilla Minus One. Oh, I didn't even know this was a thing this is a new godzilla film from japan none of this american bullshit good lower budget like a seven million dollar budget wow so yes there are some things in it that look hilariously fake really i will say that that's awesome and by fake i don't mean in a fun way either in a shitty okay (laughs) deep rising all right effects (laughs) well this is sounding good just not great computer yeah. effects. But some shots look awesome. Okay. I will say it's a two-hour movie, and there are worse stretches of it where I was like, what are we watching? Is this some sort of weird Japanese drama? <laughs> because not a lot of Godzilla during certain stretches, which was fine. The story was actually pretty decent. It takes place after World War II. Okay. So I don't know if it's called Godzilla Minus One because the first Godzilla came out in the 50s, so this is actually taking place before that. Gotcha. I don't know. That's just a guess. I'm not really sure where the title comes from. But it has to do with Kamikaze pilots and different things like that. And I would say it's way more influenced by Steven Spielberg than you would expect. There's a lot of Jurassic Park at one point, but then huge parts of it, feel like jaws because a lot of it is in the ocean
4: i just briefly read about it and that was cited i was actually getting tense i was like holy shit kind of wow he's
3: sticking his head out of the ocean and chasing their boat and stuff because it just looks really cool okay the story is actually pretty good and you care about it and the characters and the ending is pretty cool it feels a little inspired by the dark knight rises maybe i don't know but It just was like a really fun time. And if you like Godzilla at all, old school style Godzilla, it's awesome. It's definitely one of the best Godzilla movies I've ever seen. It's one of my favorites of the year. Wow, that's awesome. I think it's in theaters only right now, but I'm sure it'll be on streaming pretty quick. So let's discuss Todd Haynes' new movie, which we were going to record yesterday. And I got the notes done and everything. But then I was like, let me watch May, December, which is new to Netflix. Yep. Starring Natalie Portman and Julianne Moore. You had actually already watched it, I think, the day before. Yes. I'll just say this. I texted you 25 minutes in, and I said, can I just ask, is this the best movie of the year? And tell them what you told me.
4: I said I loved the first half, and then I felt like it kind of ran out of steam and petered out towards the ending. And then you said which you expected me to maintain that it is the best movie of the year. Even more so now. Don't burn you harder now. Yeah.
3: I could even go past the halfway point. I could say two-thirds, maybe? Yeah, yeah. Where I was thinking, okay, if this has the ending I feel like it might be building towards, which I don't have anything specific in mind. I just mean tonally. Same. The vibe of an ending. Yeah, yeah. Then I still think this could be the best movie of the year. But yeah, I was starting to sense that there were less parts that I was audibly reacting to. Because the first... 45 minutes to an hour you're gasping and laughing totally going like what the fuck yeah yeah all these different things and then yeah that was fading out as it was going but i was still thinking if this hits the ending i'm expecting again not a specific Uh, no i'm totally with you i had like but a tone
4: it feels like it's building
3: i'll use the comparison i said to you and people will probably react to this but i was expecting nothing necessarily similar but vibe wise to like an ending to parasite where you're like, whoa. Right, right. Where did that come from? Like, that's so crazy. And then it's awesome, though. And it doesn't quite have that level of a, like, what the fuck ending. Totally. But I do think that the ending is one that you can really think about. And there's a lot, a lot going on in this movie. And I don't know what all you're supposed no, to I know. think or take. And out I of
4: d- it. look, it was another experience that solidified the like, Todd Haynes is a director that I'm, like, really into because even though I felt the way that I felt I still thought it was a really cool experience the hand on the shoulder in Carol there's like a moment like that in this I feel like the makeup scene yeah it's just like so tense well that's
3: almost feels straight out of persona yeah, which yeah. bergman was a big influence on this movie and you can definitely sense that my biggest disappointment coming straight out of Carol to watch this was Carol is so beautifully shot on right. film which we specified already And this is so clearly digital and not shot on film. And even though the style is there and there's cool shots in it, it doesn't look as good to me. It just looks more like TV. Which I hate that that is just a thing now. I know. For some reason, when Fincher does it, it still looks really cool. Fincher took digital and made it so cold and his own thing that it's still, you can just tell it's him but other directors when they Nicholas make Nicholas Winding Refn
4: kind of has that too
3: Yeah, but I I don't really have a, a a vibe for what he would have been like on film though. Yeah, true. Fincher like Fight Club and 7 yeah, and those right. movies are shot on film and then he switches over with With Zodiac or was it before that? I think we talked about that in Zodiac, but maybe parts of Panic Room. I know that yeah. Benjamin Button was definitely shot
4: on film. Oh, for sure.
3: But anyway, For those of you who don't know, May-December is loosely sort of based on Mary Kay Letourneau, who is one of those famous tabloid stories from the 90s, was a teacher, I believe a woman in her 30s, who had a sexual relationship with one of her students. In this, they make it someone who works at a store. I think Mary Kay Letourneau was a teacher, but maybe I'm wrong. Whatever it was, it was an inappropriate relationship with someone in seventh grade. She goes to prison, has a baby... Gets out of prison, but maintains this relationship. They are then a couple, which this happened in real life too, although this is not who Julianne Moore's actually playing. right? But it's based on that. And then Natalie Portman is playing an actress who is coming to spend time with her to basically shadow her, to learn about her, who then is going to play her in a movie. A real movie, because there's already been a TV movie, because it was such a big tabloid story or whatever. In prior years, but now they're going to do almost like the I, Tonya. That's kind of the vibe I got. Yeah, right. Okay. It was like, oh, now we're doing a real movie. Yeah. Because obviously Tanya Harding maybe isn't as, well, it depends on what you think, but I would say having an inappropriate relationship with a minor is worse, so maybe Tanya Harding isn't as bad as that, but still was right. kind of a trashy tabloid person. Totally. And a, whatever. They make a prestige movie about it. Anyway, it is super weird. I don't know what you're supposed to think about anything, but I know.
4: Were you laughing a lot? Yeah, laughing, feeling uncomfortable. Yeah. Like it's a range of emotions, unsettled at times. I thought the way that Haynes handled a lot of this stuff, how the people act in this town, this is just normal. What this life is. Yeah. You know? It does sort of have that escalating
3: weirdness that you would get. Maybe in films like Persona and some other of Bergman's films, but maybe certain Kubrick films as well, like Eyes Wide Shut or The Shining or something where you're sort of escalating into this weirdness. But then it never really hits. You're not really sure what to think at the end. And instead of movies like Persona or Three Women or Mulholland Drive, where it's almost like the women are becoming each other or switching or taking on each other's personalities or something... They don't really do that. They tease it. Yeah. And instead, they just both do their own weird things. Right. Or at least that's how I took it. I might have to think about it more, but...
4: Yeah, well, that was the thing. I definitely walked away with it feeling like there might be more here. I would definitely revisit it. But there's also a lot of messages about grooming and, and For the sure. mindset
3: of, of what that really is and then an actress tapping into it, but then... There's that interesting scene with her at the school where they're doing a QA and talking about playing morally ambivalent or not great characters, but then also how Julianne Moore's daughter reacts to that and then but you also then think about actors who really do that and think that way. And then how do you process playing evil people right when these actors Yeah, it almost but does then, feel a little bit like a jab at acting too. Like yeah. These actors who t- are so self-serious and take this so seriously, so then if you're going to be that serious and enter the mind of a person like Mary Kay Letourneau, who very much in her head justified grooming this child into a sexual relationship, like why do you need to be that person? Or what happens to you when you become that person mentally or something? Right. It's an interesting movie, and people Definitely. should check it out. Netflix. Yeah. It might be one of my favorites of the year. Godzilla yeah. Minus One and May, December. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I still need to see The Holdovers and Napoleon and so many things. For sure.
2: She's
0: never seen a single Paul Walker movie? That's a huge oh-no-no. She also doesn't care about Blu-ray. She's a monster.
3: Really quick, okay. let's bring back Physical Media Spotlight. Wow. We were actually going to do this in one of the episodes we didn't do.
4: I forgot about this.
3: I just felt like we were building up some pretty cool releases recently. And this would be a good time to check in with some cool stuff to buy because physical media is more important than ever and it's going to get rough. But (laughs) it's a cool time to buy stuff because boutique labels are able to scoop up stuff right now. Because most of the regular studios don't care. Although it's interesting that Bob Iger has sort of brought Disney back to physical releases and The Mandalorian and WandaVision and all that stuff has gotten like 4K releases now. People don't understand... (laughs) They willingly cut this off themselves, this revenue stream. Yeah, I know. Listen to Matt Damon in one of those little TikTok videos explain this. But this was a huge industry that they themselves decided to stop. That's weird. Because if they control it, it's almost like radio plays what they want you to hear. You know, they controlled it themselves. They decided, we want you to do streaming. Because if they left it to Netflix, they decided what they could license out to Netflix. Yep. They could have kept the home video market afloat for years before streaming eventually would have had to have taken it. But they all dove in headfirst, cut that off, and then a CEO like Iyer comes back and he's like, well, we this was a huge revenue stream that's gone now. Why don't we try to sell some of this crap? Yeah, really. There are people who want to buy it. I know. Now, granted, there's less of them because we cut that market off ourselves, but if we charge enough money for these stupid 4Ks or whatever. Anyway, Matt, you had a big month with Criterion in November. That's right. Why don't you run down those releases? Because I've got at least one of them right now, and I'm going to probably get another
4: one soon. Well, look, this is my life with this stuff. Last Picture Show, a movie that's been part of a Criterion greater box set with other movies, but not an individual release. The only U.S. Blu-ray release of The Last
3: Picture Show was a part of that BBS Criterion box set. Right. Now, there was that region-free one, which you ended up buying, and then immediately Criterion does a single.
4: (laughs) Which is what happens to me every time.
3: At first, it did seem like it was doomed to happen to you again because you don't like to splurge on the box sets. So then Columbia did a 4K set. They've done a few of them, and one of the volumes included The Last Picture Show in 4K. But again, you had to buy the whole box set. Now... I did point out (laughs) that you could have bought it on eBay individually,
4: but thank God you didn't, because then Criterion finally announces it. But not only that, which, and I should point out, I mean, Last Picture Show is just like one of my favorite movies that I've been chasing. Yeah, and so even though I did splurge
3: on that Columbia set, as soon as Criterion announced it, I was, of course, going to buy the individual Criterion 4K. But as a bonus feature, Peter Bogdanovich, the director, wanted to include his director's cut of a f- of the sequel, Texasville, which was released in 1990. Both you and I eventually saw it. Right. It was hard to track down because it was only on DVD and the DVD was out of print. I ended up buying that Jeff Bridges DVD set which yeah. used at Half Price Books so that we could watch it.
4: Which may be one of the weirdest sequels that's ever existed.
3: Yes, because it's nothing tonally like The Last Picture Show. And yet, Oddly it kinda made sense to me. I I know. I think the more time goes on, the more I get it. Like you're so emo and everything is yeah. so dramatic when you're in high school, and then, and then they're old an adult, and they're kind of just sort of no
4: one cares, yeah.
3: And then of course sunny. it was
4: Yeah. Uh...
3: But anyway. So <laughs> Criterion includes not only Texasville but the director's cut of Texasville, which is longer and it black and white, like Oh, okay. Yeah. The last picture show. And it's supposed to be piece. tonally be more. Like The oh, Last Oh, cool. Okay, show. yeah. I'll look forward to watching Although that. I will say, as someone who has read not only those two novels, but the one after that, because mm-hmm. there was a third one called Dwayne's Depressed or something like that, and I think there might even be a fourth one. Oh, wow. I don't know. I think the tone of the film, Texasville, was kind of like the tone of the book. The version that we've yeah, seen, yeah. the regular theatrical cut. Anyway, that we're rambling Huge, about things though. that people don't care about. Texasville bombed, and no one <laughs> cared about it. But <laughs> That it was, was so cool to us to
4: see that included, though.
3: Yeah, well, Bogdanovich, I guess it was important to him because no one had really seen his director's cut, and it was a movie no one cared about. Yeah. So what are the chances this is ever going to sh- see the light of day? So it gets added as a bonus feature to the Last Picture Show 4K I consider The Last Picture Show one of the great films ever made. Definitely. If you haven't seen it, at least watch it on streaming and then consider owning the 4K. But it was a big month because we got Days of Heaven upgraded to 4K. Absolutely.
4: Grab that. Mean Streets. Mean Streets, which
3: was released on Blu-ray, not by Criterion, but it had gone out of print. So there really wasn't even a Blu-ray of it. That got a 4K. I'm actually waiting on the the second sight one instead. Mm -hmm. And then... What was the other? The last Ceremony. Or oh, yeah. What's that guy's name, the director?
4: Claude Chabrol. Yeah, I have a couple of his
3: box sets, but unfortunately that movie's not in it. And that's like his biggest one. Or With uh, Isabelle Huppert. Yeah, she's actually in a couple of his movies, which is why I got into his box sets, because I really like her.
4: Yeah. When Criterion does their announcements, I've never done something like this before, where I just buy four out of the five things. Like I, I put it all in in one order. Well,
3: I kind of felt that way about this month's Shout
4: Factory 4Ks. Yeah,
3: that's true. I only have one so far. The next one, but it's a big one comes out this week, and then there's one more, which I believe is supposed to be by the end of the month. The first one is Point Break, the original on 4K, one of the great films yep. of all time. Totally. Catherine Bigelow, Swayze, Reeves, The Dream Team. <laughs> I, what did we do at episode maybe one oh one or yeah, 102 right, somewhere or somewhere like there. that? Right around that Jaws and Showgirls era. What a run. <laughs> yeah. Point break is awesome. Even though that was when I feel like we were starting to get better at the podcast, I'm sure we could redo point break. Oh, definitely. And it would be so much better. So yeah. I, I would say that it's not off the table for a revisited. And this week, Clue, one of my all time favorite movies. Yes. Yeah. I don't know how this happened. It was a movie I liked when I was a kid. Didn't really think about it much at all until they did it for Classic Movie Night. I was like, we should go see this. I love this movie. And I've kind of been obsessed with it ever since we saw it.
4: I I know. I do miss going to those Classic Movie Nights. Well, I was looking at what they're showing at
3: our old theater this week, and they have Die Hard and Love Actually and Mm. several Christmas movies. So it seems like they do show random movies. I don't know. And then also coming is another movie we've done on the podcast. We haven't done Clue, but maybe one day. But JFK. Oh, yeah. A big deluxe Shop Factory 4K. Nuts. Coming at probably by the end of the month. So, like I said, not everyone needs to have a completely insane. Also oh, hilarious. I just bought
4: a Blu-ray of JFK. <laughs> like, not that long ago. I don't even have it on yeah. Blu-ray.
3: Because it was kind of, which version did you get?
4: I, I don't know. All right, we'll talk. Whatever about. was available. Anyway, you don't
3: need to have an insane, crippling, almost disturbing collection, but I do think that you should have either a PS5 or some kind of reasonable 4K player and then a TV capable, and then just keep up to date with some physical media stuff that's important to you but feels a little bit more personal. In other words, you don't necessarily need to buy Jaws and the Dark Knight Trilogy or Star Wars or something, but... Well, I'm just saying, those are always going to be yeah. somewhere. There's no risk, really, of losing access to that, I That's don't true. Yeah. But there are tons of things that you could lose access to. And I'm not just talking about, oh, I can't stream it for free. I mean, there's stuff that you can't even rent in the streaming world. Oh, I know. So just keep that in mind. I always think it's nice to have some of your favorites, though, always on hand. Anyway, let's wrap it up. Thank you so much yeah, for really. listening. <laughs> How long was this?
4: Back with a vengeance.
2: I don't know. <laughs>
3: <laughs> Folks, well, there's a lot to say. Totally.
4: It's been a long time More since energized. we are energized. Come on.
3: Well, we're going to jump into those listener requests next. They may not be as long as this because we're going to try to probably record two at a time for yeah. a minute to try to get caught back up. But anyway, thank you so much for listening. Follow the show on x slash Twitter at Pod. Please email us, greatestpod at gmail.com. Please make sure you're subscribed to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Podbean, etc. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll be back real soon.
2: In holiday style, in the air there's a feeling of Christmas. Children laughing, people passing, meeting smile after smile, and on every street corner you hear. silver Silver bells, silver bells, it's Christmas time. City, ring a ring, hear them ring, hear It's lunch. This is Santa's big scene, and above all this bustle, you hear silver bells, silver It's Christmas time in the city.
3: Besides, man, I've known her since the first grade. You don't fuck someone you met in the first
0: grade. Excuse me, I met my wife in kindergarten. We got married senior year and she has been the queen of my world ever since. But what if you could do it all over again? I would jerk off and live by myself. That woman is the bane of my existence.
2: See?